and this is the, my my father. Wow. When he was a very poor, a very poor man, uh, he was um, raised in a in, in the farm between eight brothers and sisters. And my ma- my grandmother was uh, a school teacher, and my grandfather uh, he was a farmer, and they were all wow. forced to leave the the countryside because of the political violence that were happening at the time. And this picture was taken in La Catedral prison. This is what I just used to call my home because, you know, it's, it's prison, but, you know, we felt like home because it was the only time and opportunity that we have to uh, have some time together with my father and mm-hmm. all the family at the same time. So, and this is, uh, you know, the kind of luxury we were used to it. And, uh, and this is why I wrote, you know, um, below that just five minutes of joy, you know, because yeah. you see those images and you say, oh, what? I want to be part of it. I want to enjoy this. And you think that this lasts for many years. And this was only five minutes if you compare this to a whole life. Even yeah. if in the piñata, you know, you can see, I have to perhaps to zoom in and to show even a bigger picture of the piñata, but you will see uh, the dollars falling. Mm-hmm. The I see them. So the, yeah, yeah the, the the adults were there. You know, the the kids were supposed to be there, not the adults. But everybody yeah. was like, "Hey, I want a piece of it." You know, so it's a very awkward situation. The famous picture of the that's well, a very the famous United picture. States, you know, because it was a very. My father was. I don't know what he felt about his, this picture, but I believe this picture represents you know and tell you how welcome he was in the united states you know, yeah absolutely can be you know just a meter some meters away from the uh from the white house so at the in that time nobody was paying attention you know he could do whatever he wanted and he was most welcome in the united states and and he always has the same picture frame in every place he went you know he was like so really? proud <laughs> Yes, man, we have been, you know, uh, sharing my thoughts and experiences with the youngest uh, audiences. And uh, in most of the times, you know, I, we receive a very good feedback from them. They truly receive the message that I deliver to them in, a, in the best way possible, in good faith. And they are, you know, they are willing to know what happened, really with my father's stories, with my experiences. And, and for me, it's about taking responsibility and how to tell those stories to the public, yeah. uh, but without glorifying my father's criminal activities. So for me, it's that, yeah. that's the most important thing to do. And without losing and disrespecting, you know, the, the, the victims. That's for me very, very important. Absolutely. When was the last time you was in Colombia? Well, man, I was uh, this year. You know, actually, I came from Colombia by the end of March. So, you know, I I I, I think I got the the last airplane. You know, wow. the, the, <laughs> very lucky. The airports were closing. Yes, man, it was. They almost didn't allow me to to travel because you know you are Colombian. 
but I demonstrate to the authorities that I was, you know, a permanent resident here in Argentina. So I have my family here and, and my right to, to come to where is my home place. But, you know, it's, uh, it was a very difficult situation. At the last minute, I have to buy it, uh, another plane ticket just to take the plane, the last plane available. So for me, it was like very, <clears throat> a very hard situation. Imagine if I stayed in Colombia, it will be, it'll be like four months without seeing my son and my wife and my mom. Yeah, <clears throat> very long time. Yeah, uh, a lot of people. Hacienda? Excuse me? Do, do you miss the Hacienda Napolis? Well, you know, I miss the good moments we live. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> it's like a mix of feelings. When you talk about uh, the Hacienda with me, it's like a mix of feelings because, of mm -hmm. course, I have very good memories there with my friends and my family and my father. And at the same time, I have bad memories because of, you know, the police uh, operations and the, uh, the attacks from the enemies of my father. So it's a mix of... And at the same time, it used to be my, my home in, in a of way. Yeah. And also, it's like uh, now when I have the opportunity to visit my... what it was my own place, you know, they wanted to charge me for the entrance. So I, I feel mm. like I don't want to pay for that. <laughs> you know, of course, of course. it's now a tourist. Uh, it's a tourist attraction, right? Yes, yes. Uh, you can find like five different hotels from one star to five stars hotel. And also it's like um, uh, an amusement park at the same time and they also have a maximum security prison in the same place so it's very awkward you know it's like yeah. you don't understand very well it's like okay there's a prison but now this is uh, the hippos and you can enjoy them and it's like uh, you don't so understand very if well if you want to experience colombia go to medellin right yeah. <laughs> medellin is one of the most beautiful cities of my country for sure man and and you know it's uh, before the the COVID situation, you, know, was, you were amazed how many uh, tourists you could see in the streets in Medellin city. You know, it's something very very unique, and people enjoying a lot different nationalities, people mm -hmm. coming from all over the world for different reasons. So, do, and do you course, think any of that has anything to do with your father? Well, yes. You know, it's been quite a my father has been very famous <clears throat> for the last decades. Everybody knows that. So it's, it's uh, in a way, unstoppable. You know, it's like something you, can, you can't deal with that. But, you know, it's not the only thing to see. You know, of Colombia course. and our city and our country has many, many attractions and many good things to do. But, you know, let's say that uh, the TV series and everything that, you know, happened recently, make the people aware of the who was Pablo Escobar, or or at least who they thought he was. You know, so, and uh, that brings the attention of a lot of people, a lot of tourism. Uh, and I'm not against that, you know, but a lot of politicians are against that. But I think at, as long as we tell the story in a responsible way and we don't encourage others to follow my father's examples, I think that. No country should deny his own story. You know? Of course. And so, because, yeah. you know, what's the point to do that? You know, we have to learn from our own story so we don't repeat it in the future. It's not about denial. It's about accepting the truth and, you know, 
moving forward and doing something about it. So and you're you know, making uh, good of a bad situation. Yes, man. It's like okay, sadly it happened, but okay, we have the experience. We don't want this to happen again. So let's move forward and uh, and of course, if they can use this in a responsible way, they can they can take a lot of advantage, you know, in, in financial and economical results for the good of the people, you know, the local ones. So I think it if it is you know understood and used in a responsible way, I have nothing against that. Of course, some other tourist guides they they are using my father's name just in, in the wrong way. Yeah. So and I understand these brothers and some other people, some victims and politicians, they take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. When was the? When did you decide to do your first show with people? What was what, what was it that made you want to go out there and just speak to these people? Well, man, if you ask me, you know, I never thought I was going to do such a thing in my whole life, you know, because it was supposed that I was very shy, you know, and then I didn't want to talk in public and I feel afraid of it. But, you know, it's look what I'm where I am now. And but the first experience was in Mexico City. I was invited to, to participate in a TED uh, event, you know, and so it was my first my first experience and it was very hard because they told me you have 18 minutes to tell the most important thing in your whole life so i said oh wow you know i have not not too much time to explain but i think i learn and i want to say about life but it was uh, a great challenge for me that really uh, pushed me and make me uh, think deeply about the, the real meaning of just having the the opportunity, the curse, and whatever you want to see it, you know, but of just experience this kind of life. Just not only being the son of, but also, you know, uh, overcome that situation and that reality. So for me, it's, um, it was a great experience and it was my first time uh, in front of 300 people wow. and uh, it was a very awkward uh, scenario because you know it was like a round place and so everybody was surrounding me 360 degrees mm-hmm. so I, I was like always turning in the same point uh, but I remember it was the first time but since then I never never stopped so that's it gets how I easier. Got. yeah it, it's easier today I have more experience, I'm more relaxed, you know, at the beginning I was like very like tense, you could see it, but, and I'm also very afraid of, because, you know. Well, if you don't know what reaction you're going to get from these people, you know, are they going yes. to take this good? Absolutely, and you are also putting your life in danger, you know, because yeah. any, if you miss a, whole, a single word, you know, it can change a whole sentence and it can be you know, feel like in a, in a different in a different way. So for me, it's, it was, I felt a lot of fear just because, you know, I'm going to say this and I hope you're going to understand what I mean. So a lot of people died in the past just because they just couldn't say the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, a unique moment for me. But, you know, after that moment, you know, I felt comfortable and, and with more experience and, 
and after I, I started to see the effect, you know, uh, in every single teenager who cares, will approach to me and they thank me for just sharing my story, showing them that that's not the path for them also. When I started to realize that I was um, uh, inviting them not to follow my father's footsteps and also to be responsible about their own stories, about their own life and about yeah. the consequences of being, you know, committed to their lives. Um, I, I felt better, much better than anyone, you know, because I felt that with a, a story that it's very negative, I am doing a lot of good and positive things. Yeah, and that's yeah, very hard to achieve, very hard, because it's, uh, there's a lot of violence in my father's life, for sure. And so it's, uh, it's difficult to find something positive from, the, from it. Also, uh, I've seen, obviously, you've, you've uh, visited schools, uh, colleges and stuff like this. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you know, the, these guys are so young, they perhaps don't understand exactly what's happening. But to, to get them at such a young age uh, and, and give them the, this information, it just must be, must be a good thing. Yeah, man, because I'm, I, I explained to them, you look, you don't have to experience the same things that I experienced in the past just to learn the same lessons. I'm giving this to you free. Just pay attention and try something else because it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like uh, uh, my, my father tried it and all of his friends and everybody and everybody's dead, you know. So please, what, what, what's the thing that make you feel and believe that you're going to do it and you're going to get away with it? Come on, just think about it. This is not a, this is not a place for you. This is not a story to, to use in a irresponsible way. So it's, it's very good when they approached to you and they said, thanks to this lecture, thanks to this moment, uh, I changed my mind. I thought that, you know, following your father dreams was the best thing that could happen yeah. to my, in my life. And because they see my father as a successful case, you know. Here I'm saying, look, he was my father. I love him very much. He gave me a lot of love. That's true. But not because he had a lot of money was a successful man. Because what's the point of being successful? You know, what's success for you? Mm -hmm. For me, success is something that you can truly enjoy. Because if you have a lot of money, but you are not free and you're starving, you know, it's even worse, you know. You're a first, poor man. You have to be poor. Yeah, you are, you are the richest and the poorest at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's something very crazy, but really happened to my father. You know, he had a lot of money, but he was starving, you know. He, was, he wasn't living in the same mansions that you can find him, you know, Narcos, you know, in the TV series. didn't happen yes. that way. It was truly, I was visiting this guy, my father, every single weekend. And, and at the same time, you know, the Forbes magazine was saying that there were, he was the 10 richest man in the world, whatever, but he was living like the poorest. The so, poorest. You know, what's, what's going on? Unbelievable. So we, we, we learn a lot from that. And uh, because we respect the story and because we pay attention to what happened to us, our family, our father, and, and we took responsibility for that. And it's something very difficult to, to start doing because, you know, you requires a lot of 
responsibility to to say okay i'm i'm very sorry for what happened and this is what we learned from the past and so we have to move forward and so it's difficult to find uh, a balance between the love and the respect that I feel for my father and the respect that I should show to his victims too. Of course, yeah. Uh, how was it when you got recognized for the uh, World Ambassador of Peace? Was that, was that, did you ever think you would ever get this yeah. or? Never in my life, man, never in my life and, and even less in, my, in this moment of my life, you know, because, uh, you know, you expect many things I, I was supposed to be dead already since the age of 16. So everything that I'm experiencing today is something new and I'm, I'm feeling very grateful for this. And this experience is, you know, it's, uh, it's a way of uh, somebody saw that I was doing something good for humanity or for our country, whatever. But it's a very good Eric, um what would be the word for that in English? Uh, acknowledgement? Acknowledgement? Of course, yeah. Yeah, for me it was like somebody pay attention to, the, to what I was doing and so they they gave me this recognition and this responsibility too because it is also a big responsibility. Uh, and that that really bring me a lot of hope and um, you know the, 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 the situation, the good story behind this is that the, the one who recommended me to be an ambassador for peace was uh, the son of the Cali cartel, you know. So, okay, William Rodriguez. Yes, William Rodriguez was the guy who said to this organization, you should name Sebastian as an ambassador of peace. And I was very surprised, you know, because we were supposed to be enemies uh, mm-hmm. just because of my father's. And, yeah. and our fathers fight uh, so but instead of you know fighting each other we choose peace we choose dialogue we choose forgiveness and reconciliation so that's that's a very good thing to to show and to share to the public because imagine who could ever thought that you know the son of the cali cartel and at the same time so, the, of the yeah. medellin cartel Instead of killing each other, they are willing to uh, make peace and to show to the world that there's no no point to follow our father's example. So that's not only my father's case, but also his father's. Yeah. And his father's I think it's a, it's a very powerful... Me- oh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. And he's in jail in the United States, wow. he's convicted for 30 years in prison. And if he got out, he will be out like by the age of, I don't know, 90 years old, something like that. So imagine. So what the conclusion is, our fathers, sadly, just because they wanted power, money, and everything, they lose control of their lives, you know, and the power and the money they achieve, you know, took control of their lives and destroyed them without thinking, you know, in a, just in a, in a second. So... Uh, it's a powerful message to say to anybody if if Juan Pablo Escobar or William Rodriguez can can finish this or, or, or you know make make good of this bad situation that anybody can. Yes, imagine man, it's like uh, against all odds, you know, against everybody. against all odds completely. Yeah, uh, totally. So it's uh, it's a miracle that it's happening, and uh, we're very grateful. And 
and I'm, I have, uh, you know, good communication with him in, you know, in a, almost in a daily basis, you know, with a lot of respect and we have uh, learned that we can do better things together than just fighting each other. There's no point to continue to this circle of hate, you know, because nobody can get out of that. And we have to stop this for our families, for our countries. So that's how he, after he watched the, the documentary scenes of my father, he, he got like very touched and convinced that, I, that he should do something. And so finally we got, we had the opportunity to meet each other, but the, the situation is this, he's not allowed to leave the, the United States and I'm not allowed to go in. So okay. like everything happened. It's between, a friction. Yeah, the video conference. So it's like, uh, thanks to that, we could make peace and stay like, as, as close as possible. So we're trying to, to find a way to see each other and to give us a hug. It's somewhere in the border between the United States border and the Mexican border. That's, that's you stand on one side and William stand on the other side, yeah, right? That's the idea, man. That's the idea. So we can be as close as possible. And I don't know, perhaps we could find a, a spot, a neutral spot where we can give us a hug and show to the world that, you know, we have to leave the past where it is, you know, mm -hmm. and don't bring it in front of you all the time. And because of course, if you look at our stories, we have lots of excuses, you know, to hate and to kill each other, but that's not the, that's not the purpose right. of this life. We have to be better human beings. And it is also our commitment with our generation and with our sons and daughters. So it's something that really excites me because not also the, the peace with, that I made with him, but also with many other bit, victims of my father, more than 150 families so far. We've been talking and with a hundred percent of success rate. You know, it's that, that's, that's, that's quite a lot. I guess I never thought that the, the son of, of Pablo Escobar would ever come back to them and, and do, do such a nice thing. Never, man. You know, and you know, when my father was alive and we were discussing a lot about his own violence because I was just trying to make him stop. When we wake up in the morning, we get out of bed and we start our day with Coro Snacks. Coro is a healthy snacks brand focusing on bringing additive-free natural ingredients to their customers with fair prices in bulk packaging. They have everything from nut butters to free from baking ingredients to cooking essentials and, of course, the snacks. Oh, these Syrian pumpkin seeds from Coro are amazing. I have them on my cheese and toast every morning. You've been getting into them, Jen? Yes, and all the health benefits it brings. <laughs> Lashings of them. Right. Pop this in the oven then. So what makes Coro special in comparison to others? Coro cares about sustainability. Their bulk packs save on packaging material compared to small single packs. For a 5% discount on Coro's products, use the code TRUECRIME with no space in between true and crime. The link to Coro's online shop is in the description box on YouTube. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. In many ways, I was asking him, please don't put more bombs. You know, it's like, you're crazy. What are you doing? You're just killing innocent people, people who, that never hurt you or me. So what, what are you doing? So, of course, we have several discussions. And that gave me the opportunity to 
to be clear with my father about my thoughts, about my about what I thought about his violence. So we had the opportunity to discuss this, and but he was a man determined, you know, to do whatever he wanted. Uh, sadly, he wasn't paying attention to anyone. He was just listening to me and just a few times perhaps he, he paid some attention but he was Maybe making he was lost. his own he's so focused uh, you know so yeah. much too much power that that you know he, he just probably couldn't change yeah it was a man who was you know in he thought he was he was he could have more power than anyone you know he, he was willing to be the next president of colombia but he told me once that he understood that there's some uh, people that they even can have more power than the, the, the president. So and he became that kind of person in, in some part of his uh, stories. I was seeing him, you know, writing letters to, to the president and the next day, you know, the president was doing what he asked. So, yeah. Yeah, so he was, you know, dealing with power at, the, yeah. at that time, the 80s. What was your view on, on Narcos when you first heard about it coming out? What, what did you think? Well, Narcos, the TV series, man. Well, you know, when I was, the, the, the true story behind this is that, you know, I realized that they were about to shoot the series six months before. So I sent a friend who could talk with Netflix and, and so he offered, because I told him, uh, complete access to my archives, files, whatever they wanted to check about my father's story because I said, okay, you're gonna tell my father's story. I would like to collaborate. So you will tell the, the precise story. But they didn't, they, they, they weren't interested at all. You know, they, they said, no, we know everything we want to know. So, you know, it's that, that's, that's the result. So when, the, when I had this first opportunity to watch the series, you know, I just, I was exactly in the process of writing my second book and mm -hmm. I have the, a delivered date. So I was in a, in a rush and I called my editor and I said, look, this TV series just got out and I want to see it, the series. I don't care if I'm going to be late, but I have to pay attention to what it says, etc. And after I watched the series, I wrote a small article about the 28 mistakes that I discovered Etc. So became very very famous mm -hmm. the the article. Uh, in three days, it was you know more than three million people read the article. They translated the article even in newspapers in India. You know, so it was yeah, everywhere. You know, it's, I was just talking about my father that is from Colombia. Nobody knows him, but I thought that nobody uh, not not a lot of people so it's it's yeah. amazing how many people are interested in in this story and you can see that just because of how many languages uh, i have in my same my same uh, my first book already translated so it's quite a, a lot of countries and cultures i went to greece i went to lithuania france italy spain you know, it's everywhere. Uh, doesn't matter where. It's uh, it's a huge, uh, in some cases, respect, uh, admiration, glorification. People mm -hmm. who doesn't understand the, the real meaning of the stories, 
big fans, you know, people who they show me their tattoos about my father. I, I even have some uh, some images. Perhaps I will I will try to share my my screen. Yes, please do. If I can if I can do it. Uh, let me check if I can share my. Uh, perhaps Pablo, will you help me to? Pablo, me habilitas por favor para la pantalla. Okay. Okay. Gracias. Just wait a minute. I'm asking Pablo to allow me to to share the. No wait, please. Wait, please. Okay, Pablo. No rush, man. So, do you prefer coffee or tea, Reese? Whiskey. <laughs> tea, tea with whiskey. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> tea with whiskey. And what's your favorite? Uh, is it guaro? How do you say the club? Guaro. 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 <laughs> okay. That's our local drink. Very uh, good. Well, um, that's a very dangerous drink, man, because it brings all your passions out. So could make you feel like uh, uh, Pablo Escobar. Very <laughs> make you feel like Pablo Escobar. Yeah, like Pablo Escobar. That's very <laughs> so. Don't drink with responsibility because you can you know you don't know what's going to happen next. So yeah, that's that's a kind of it's a it's kind of drink that you know has this special effect, like uh, mm -hmm. it makes you so passionate. Even in terms of love or hate, if you want to fight, you're gonna have a fight. If you want to love, you know, people, you're gonna be okay. But it's a very extreme um, effect. That's Is it worse than tequila? I prefer tequila, man. To tell you, you prefer tequila. <laughs> I prefer tequila. Yeah. Wow. And you you have been to America before, haven't you? Excuse me. You have been to America before. In, yes, in the United States, yes. I went until I was uh, 14 years old, you know. Um, and that was like your birthday, wasn't it? Was it your birthday when you went there? Uh, in, in some opportunities, I celebrate my birthday in the, in the United States. But I visited in the first uh, years of the 80s, let's say the beginning of the 80s, when with my father, with the famous picture, you know, in front of the White House. Yeah. Uh, everybody talks about that picture. And um, after that, even when my father's visa was cancelled, I could return uh, until the age of 14. And uh, I visited many times, uh, you know, Disney World mo most of the times and enjoying, you know, as a kid, as a, as a small kid, as a teenager too. And uh, let me check what's uh, going on with the screen. Pablo está deshabilitado todavía. No sé si la... Ya ahora, está. Ahora, ahora sí. Ok. Now, now I can. Ok, perfecto. Thank you, Pablo. Uh, wow. Can you see it now? Okay. I see that. Yeah. Ok. Just, I'm going to, just to show you some pictures. This is the kind of lecture that I'm, I always uh, talk about, you know, because most of the people, they don't know how to call me, if I prefer Juan Pablo or Sebastian, if I feel bad, if they call me Juan Pablo. I don't feel anything, you know, I'm the same guy, doesn't this matter for me. 
Juan, Pablo, Carlos, you know, Jimmy, whatever. It's the same for me. <laughs> uh, you can call me because that's what I learned, you know, that we are not our last names or names. And the, the most important too, thing is that we are what we declare, what we do. Our actions are the, truly the things that define us as people, you know, as persons, mm -hmm. individuals. So this is the kind of, uh, and this is the, my, my father, Wow. When he was a very poor, a very poor man, uh, he was um, raised in, a, in, in the farm between eight brothers and sisters. And my, my grandmother was uh, a school teacher and my grandfather, uh, he was a farmer. And they were all wow. forced to leave the, the countryside because of the political violence that were happening at the time. And this picture was taken in La Catedral prison. This is what I just used to call my home because, you know, it's, it's prison, but, you know, we felt like home because it was the only time and opportunity that we have to uh, have some time together with my father and mm -hmm. all the family at the same time. So, and this is, uh, you know, the kind of luxury we were used to it. And, uh, and this is why I wrote, you know, um, below that just five minutes of joy, you know, because yeah. you see those images and you say, oh, why? I want to be part of it. I want to enjoy this. And you think that this lasts for many years. And this was only five minutes if you compare this to a whole life. Even yeah. if in the piñata, you know, you can see, I have to perhaps to zoom in and to show even a bigger picture of the piñata, but you will see uh, the dollars falling. Mm -hmm. the I see them. So the, yeah, yeah the, the, the adults were there. You know, the, the kids were supposed to be there, not the adults. But everybody yeah. was like, hey, I want a piece of it, you know. So it's a very awkward situation. The famous picture of the... That's of a very famous United picture. States, you know, because it was a very... My father was... I don't know what he felt about his, this picture, but I believe this picture represents you know and tell you how welcome he was in the united states you know, yeah absolutely can be you know just a meter some meters away from the uh from the white house so at the in that time nobody was paying attention you know he could do whatever he wanted and he was most welcome in the united states and and he always has the same picture frame in every place he went you know he was like so proud really? <laughs> it's a good photo yeah, it's a very good photo and very, very famous too. And this is what he yeah. did with the municipal dump. You know, it's uh, people were living and you can see the black and white picture. And so he started a housing project for the for these families because there was a big fire to destroy everything in this municipal dump. This family actually lived there. You know, it's very, very, very hard condition for them. So my father... You know, he felt that he could do something for the poorest. And this, this is where everything started. The media started calling him the, the Robin Hood. So yeah. he was the Robin Hood from, from Colombia. And he liked the, the, the nickname. You know, he yeah, liked he liked the status. Yeah. So um, this is uh, an actual uh, picture of the neighborhood. This is, this is, it says, welcome to the neighborhood, Pablo Escobar. Here you can breathe peace. She's wow. something very, and of course, uh, a lot, and more than 5,000 families live there and even more today, almost 20,000. Really? 
on and is it still called Barrio Pablo Escobar? Yes, even if they are, the authorities are against this, they, then the you know the inhabitants they they name the bar the, the neighborhood as they please, so nobody wow. can erase this. And this is something you know that I showed to the most to the students, and I told them, look, my father enjoyed only ten percent of his life. Mm -hmm. This is this. Are these your plans for life, for your own life? Come on, we have to do better than this. Because this is the reality, you know, my father was just enjoying between the 1980 and 1984. That's it, yeah. it was the five minutes of joy, nothing mm -hmm. else. The rest was, you know, gunfights, um, hiding, running away from the authorities, from the enemies, from Colombia, leaving away your family, your loved ones, your friends, and watching how everybody was dying because of this, it's craziness. Like, how can you consider as a success case, if you look exactly. at it? And of course, the Monaco building, when, when we used to live yeah. here, in this beautiful building, well, it was like a, a two floor penthouse with more than, um, more than 1,000 square meters, of just the penthouse. You can see the mountains and, and everything we lived and we experienced here was very good. But I knew that everything we have never lasts. So this is how we get up in the morning of, you know, January 13 of 1988. A car bomb exploded from the Cali Cartel, 700 kilos of dynamite, almost wow. kill us. I was living in the upper right um, <clears throat> that you can see actually the bed, you know, where I was sleeping with my mother and so the, the the roof fell and almost killed me couldn't breathe so it was a very uh, thought situation and as you can see my little sister's bed you know she was she was uh, about to drink her milk and you know the explosion in the the window frame you can see this nobody put the window frame there it was the bomb it was actually just this, this with every out. glass, you know, it's a, it's a miracle that nothing happened to us, you know. It's, mm -hmm. So, and so this is some other stories that people doesn't knew. And the, the stories that are related with, you know, I was with my father and we were actually starving, you know, because there was, we had more than $4 million next to us, you know, in cash. But the police was after, were after us and we couldn't wow. just buy a piece of bread, man, and a bottle of water. Perhaps we have more money to buy every stock of food in the whole city, but we didn't have the freedom. We didn't have access to that. Yeah, so it's, uh, that's, that's the thing that I want. That's my point, you know. What's the point of having $4 million, $10 million in cash if you are starving, man? You're supposed to have this money to fulfill these uh, needs, but you cannot. So this is the, tree, the truly experiences. And the, this is how my father used to treat me. You know, it's, uh, <clears throat> he gave me a lot of love. And at the same time, I knew the bandit, you know, the advices between one man and the other. I had to, to live with this reality. This is another picture that I remember a lot and it, it reminds me a story, you know, I grew up with a lot of uh, killers, you know, that's, I grew up and I call them my killer nannies in, uh, in a way. So I asked them, what, what was the best thing you learned from my father? 
and they told me <clears throat> we learned from him that we have to be very good fathers with our sons and daughters so um my father and my mother my mother raised me with a lot of love and i think that's the big difference between Absolutely. you know uh being raised with a lot of violence of course my father wasn't practicing <clears throat> the human values uh, that he was trying to uh, show me inside our home uh, i know perfectly well that outside he wasn't doing the same thing but he was yeah, just cool. trying to comply with the you know with just being a good father with me and giving me in, in his own perspective what he thought was a good example. And so that, that's the big difference between me and the, and the rest of the killers because they didn't, they, they, they didn't have the opportunity to be raised in a family and be yeah. surrounded by a lot of love. That's the big difference. Mm -hmm. that's why they, they were raised with a lot of fear and hate to everybody. So my father, Imagine he gave them power, money, and a gun, and they were, you know, and, and he treated them very, very, very well. So they were willing to die for him. Yes. How he managed to build his own army, you know. And this is the kind of, uh, you know, the narco series effect and the youngest people and audience. This is a Russian guy, 26-year-old guy who shared this uh, with me in the social media. I received like this, like more than 3,000 messages every single day from people saying, hey, I just watched the series, so cool, I wanna be like your dad. And say, I don't know if it's as cool as you thought. You know, it's, I think you have to think about it twice. And this is a photo that reminds me, a conversation that I had with my father about drugs. That's another very important thing to talk about you know, addictions and how drugs affect our, our body, our family, our destiny in many, many ways. So I have this conversation with him when I was eight years old, nine years old, more, more or less. And he told me a brave man is the one who doesn't do drugs. So, you know, a phrase like this coming with, from Pablo Escobar, the guy responsible for 80% of the, the drugs trafficking business <laughs> in the whole world. It's like, okay, uh, okay, I have to pay attention to you. And he pay said, attention, listen. Yeah, he used to say to me, cocaine is a poison to sell, not to take. Hope you're enjoying this podcast. There's a word from our sponsor, Rocket Money. The other day, I had to cancel free Amazon Prime memberships. I had a personal on the UK, Amazon, US, Amazon company account, US Amazon, UK Amazon. Do you understand how hard it is to cancel these bloody things? That's why Rocket Money makes these things so much easier, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. Just like with me, with my four Amazon Prime memberships, you may find out you've been at least double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you've got to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor, Rocket Money. Links in the description box. Cheers. So it's... Um... He, he was very aware that he was selling poison to the people. 
So that's why he didn't, um, he wasn't a consumer, you know. Yeah. Uh, most of the drug dealers, they know what they are selling, so they don't, they don't do drugs. And this is the reconciliation process with most of the families, the Galan brothers in the upper left, and the guy in red t-shirt, it was a policeman. My father killed like more than 500 policemen only in one single month in, in Medellin City, man. So this guy showed me a picture, 150 of his uh, mates from the police mm -hmm. and uh, from the partners of the police. And they, he told me, look, only three survived, including me. Unbelievable. The picture, so it was very hard to me. And so now we became close friends. The, the picture where I'm, the guy I'm giving the hug, it's uh, Jorge Lara, the son of the Minister of Justice, killed by my father in the year 1984. And as you can see below in the left, uh, I'm with Miguel Rodriguez. I'm, um, I'm just celebrating with just a small glass of whiskey. He's another son of the Cali cartel, and this picture was taken in Cali, actually. So I, supposed really? to, I was supposed to be dead already before the first drink, you know, but we were there. We choose peace. We choose reconciliation, respect. Yeah. So this is something that is not a theory. You know, when I'm talking about peace, and when I want to talk about peace, I don't want to talk about theories. I want to talk about making peace and taking peace very seriously in our life. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, something that could happen, some some kind of romantic idea. No, it's actually it's happening. You know, it's like in the black and white picture, we have uh, Aaron Seal, the son of Barre Seal. The guy was killed by my, the, his father was killed by my father in the year 1986 in the United States. His father, I don't know if you had the opportunity to watch one of the Tom Cruise, uh, one of his last movies, Made in America, something like that. I've seen it, yeah, I've seen that. Well, it's the story of his dad. You know, really? It's exactly his son. Uh, I don't see the guy with the sunglasses. We became very close friends and we, we developed a relationship that I'm proud of. Yeah, and and the lady next to the, the, the older picture, the last picture is she was a she's a journalist and she was kidnapped by my father for almost three months, you know, with among of other partners. So, as you can see, there's a lot of stories and violence everywhere, but also a lot of hope, and that's something truly amazing, man. Truly amazing that people who have suffered so much and even though they are willing to forgive and not to forget because it's not that's not the point you know it's forgiving is not about forgetting that's a different thing it's about healing Please some examples of my books and uh, my uh, you know these are some examples about my work as an architect mm -hmm. the, the reason why i'm showing you this and why i show this to the public is because this is the kind of pictures and images that I want my my son to inherit from yeah you know? not the violence not not, the, not the blood. Blood. Yeah. and uh, something different that I we can different. create our own destiny we can design our own destiny even even against all odds you know against absolutely us. so 
this is pretty, pretty much all, man. And uh, choose well and think twice, you know. It's, it's unbelievable. It's just a, a magnificent story. And this is a short way to I have a longer presentation with some short videos and examples, you know, but just just for you to know, I want I wanted to share with you the kind of keynote presentation that I uh, all share with most of the public. This is a, a short one, but uh, I think it has everything, the, the basic things for sure. Unbelievable. Thank you so much for, for oh. sharing. My so pleasure. That I've never seen before. Uh, I do follow it, so uh, I've seen quite a few of them. But it was yeah. nice, you know, the, the one we. That's had. the idea, man. That you, not everything will be as as easy to get. You know, that's that's the idea to to show something different. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, do you still feel um, like a burden from your father? Do you, do you somewhat feel unsafe when you travel in Colombia, or do you, do you do you feel safe now? Well, I think it's it's a risk. It's always a risk, you know. It's it's about you know believing and but also about experiencing that most of the people who approach to me and so far, a hundred percent of the people they they thank me, you know, for what I'm doing. They don't see me as a threat, so that's that's something very good for me. Even my father's enemies. Nobody see me as a threat. They know I have a, I have good intentions. That I'm trying to do something positive with this. Nothing against anyone. So they respect that, you know. And 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 you will be surprised. My father's victims is something very hard to accept when they when they say thank you. You know, it's something that you cannot process that war because. You know, coming from a victim is very hard in a in a personal way. How could you say thank you? Because, you know, my father only gave you pain, violence, and Upset. lots of reasons to hate. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so and so and you're thanking me for that? Come on, it's like I cannot process that. But it's very common. Um but it, it brings also a lot of hope, you know, because you, we truly understand that when a victim can say thank you, they are, of course, they know they are not my big victims, but they are truly aware of that. But at the same time, they are saying me, thank you for taking responsibility, even for the things that you did. Somebody else's actions. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's something we should learn from, you know, as, 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 as humanity. You know, it's mm-hmm. not only for this kind of uh, cases, but for everything, everything responsibility, yeah. even for the things we are not responsible for. And yeah, even, another good lesson from from this um, from this kind of uh, uh, events or something. Yeah, Sorry. thank you very much, my friend, for your time and collaboration. Uh, anything else you want to ask? Please feel free. I think that's everything. I think, you know, you covered a lot of things and it's just been, it's been really good to find out more about you and hear it from you directly. So like I say, I think this platform is amazing so yeah, it's for us to connect properly and brings us a, cl- you know, a lot closer. So it's Yeah, busy. I think we should explore this possibility to perhaps to, to offer to the audience if they Absolutely. have, you know, they can, they can think about the possibility. I don't know. That's something you will discuss further with uh, Alex and Pablo to see what we can do with this kind of events in the near future. 
yeah no that'd be really good absolutely really good and i hope to see you soon me too man me too i'm you know i'm uh, i will let you know if i have some plans to travel to europe you know but i think by by the end of the year i don't think it's gonna happen recent uh, mm-hmm. in the next day but but uh, for sure by the end of the year with god's help and uh we let you know so we can meet each other man that would be very good that would be very very good okay man thank you so much hey thank you very much thank you're you welcome very... pablo thank you now take care man bye-bye bye-bye please man all right so after the death of your father you got on the radio and you said i'm gonna avenge my father's death i'm gonna kill the bastards the motherfuckers who did this i'm gonna rise up i'm gonna be more dangerous than my father how big a mistake was that well man it's perhaps one of the biggest mistake i ever committed in my life you know just let's say that five seconds of threats became in 25 years of exile man and didn't didn't stop yet so um i i learned a lot from those words you know from the power of a declaration and how this could really affect your present your future and how this can put your life in danger too uh perhaps i wasn't realizing that i was you know the son of pablo escobar perhaps if you know a teenager received the same bad news that his father passed away perhaps he could react the same as i did but uh not being the son of pablo escobar uh, people won't take that seriously but you know i i didn't realize that what i was doing what i was saying what i was thinking were going to affect so much my own destiny and and i could tell you that those wars for sure affected my destiny in many 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 ways but also gave me the opportunity to make the call again and to realize that that wasn't the path for me and that wasn't the future that i wanted to build so i i call again to the the media and i said i apologize for what i've just said and i want to you know i want to make peace and i want to be committed with peace and that's what i've been doing for the past 26 years of my life but of course uh people remembers me for just you know, for those threats for sure so the cali cartel they had a death sentence on you after that and they were allied with the castanio brothers with don berna the castanio brothers with los pepes said they were going to cut you up and your sister up into little pieces and send them to Pablo in a sack. Now, your mother talked to the Cali guys and arranged for you to have a sit-down with them to see if they would spur your life. How did it feel to go to that meeting thinking you were never going to come out possibly alive? Well, imagine yourself being invited to a meeting where you already know and totally positive that you're not going to come out alive. Will you go to that meeting, Sean? I don't know. <laughs> It seems like you didn't have much of a choice. Well, I did, you know, and that's that's was the perhaps the worst part, you know, because uh, of course I have always the choice to be Pablo Escobar 2.0 and sadly I had the know-how because you know I was very next to my father and uh, I I was watching how he handled all, all, all of the things. At the same time, I was totally afraid of what was going to happen to me. And I have to say that 
it was thanks to my father's enemies' advices that I, you know, I decided to go to that meeting because at the beginning when I was invited, let's say, uh, they, one of them, they were, you know, treating me bad, you know, insulting me, threatening me all the time. Uh, but suddenly, you know, everybody calmed down and get outside of the, of the prison that I was visiting when I received the message. And one of the guys approached to me and they said, hey, look, man, uh, you don't realize that you are already dead and that the only chance uh, to get out alive is to be sharp on that meeting. And uh, so be there because that's the only way out. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense to me, you know. Uh, so I wrote my own will when I was 16 and I decided to go to face death, you know, uh, because I was also tired of running away from the sins that I wasn't responsible for. So for me, it was also uh, what, a, what an adventure, you know, what a, a challenge that I had to face in front of me. But, you know, uh, thanks to that meeting, you know, I realized that I could have a second chance, the, the right to, to own and to develop, the, you know, the second chance of being another human being, a different one, and to start over. So I took that opportunity and I thank uh, my father's enemies for allowing me to stay alive and I honor that opportunity. You know, I became a, an architect, uh, an industrial designer, a writer, and I'm just trying to use my father's story in the most responsible way so we could, you know, move forward and, and learn from it. So you tried to get out of the country multiple times and there was one time where you were at the airport and you guys were queuing up to get on the airplane and then you got searched and they, they made you miss the airplane and then the Los Pepe's guys showed up. How did you manage to save your family in that situation? Well, man, I felt, you know... Um... I remember that when I had the opportunity to escape from that situation, uh, imagine an international airport uh, that was uh, in control of terrorists. And the authorities, even instead of stopping them, were helping them. You know, it's a very awkward situation. And you are just a single family. And I was 16. And my little sister, you know, she has like 10, 11 years, something like that. And I was surrounded by women of my family members. Uh, I don't know how it came up to my mind that the only way out was to rent a helicopter, you know. So I, I, I found somebody who offered me help in front of a lot of policemen who wanted me dead, of course. And he said uh, that he could get me an office and a telephone. Uh, so I don't know, just in a minute, uh, I realized that the only way out was just to rent a helicopter and escape from all of them. Because, you know, we had no bodyguards at that time. Nobody could give us any protection. My father was losing every, you know, the control of the country. He wasn't the powerful man uh, that everyone knew and expected to be in, in that time. So we were truly surrounded. And I don't know, it's, it's a miracle that I can speak with you today, man, because I should have died that day exactly as uh, many other opportunities happened to me too. But uh, I, I remember that when I managed to escape, you know, the same day I was uh, with my father and he congratulated me just because, you know, how I handled the situation. He, he couldn't, you know, even believe it. How could I 
you know, but I said to him, you know, I, I learned from you, you know, you're a good man in terms of how to escape from danger and authorities. And, and I just did the same, you know, but um, we were, totally surrounded, more than a hundred policemen and more than 50 people with guns uh, and with, you know, their face cover, you could not see and realize if they were bandits or, you know, or uh, agents, you couldn't figure it out who they were, but for sure they had no good intentions uh, of being there. And it, it, and it didn't happen in the middle of the night, man. It was just like uh, during the morning, you know, in front of thousands of people and, you know, uh, airline employees, many, many people there who saw and witnessed all of this. And uh, it was, you know, the, the terror was taking control of the country. And there was two sides of terror, my father's sides and the other sides, you know, and, uh, and it was a very awkward situation, but finally, uh, God helped us and we could manage to, to escape from there. But it was quite a challenge for sure. Going back to an earlier year then, a pivotal moment in Pablo's career was the assassination of Lara Bonilla. Things really changed after that. So you guys had to leave the country in a hurry. Your mother was pregnant. How did it feel to be on that journey to Panama? Well, man, um, I remember that we, we were forced to took a helicopter that, um, from my father. And um, it's like suddenly all your life, as you know, it changed without notice. And, uh, and, you know, I was going to school every single day, having my family, my home, as I knew it since I was very, very, very young. So suddenly uh, I was forced to change uh, our home and we went to a farm where we took the air, the helicopter and we went to Panama and we have to dress like if we were tourists uh, you know uh, next to some near beach there it was there so when the police stopped us uh, they thought that we were just you know diving and doing something like that but uh it was thanks to the General Noriega who was helping my father and allowing him and his organization to stay there. But he was working also like a double agent because at the same time he was a CIA agent. So it was a very, a very awkward and difficult moment. And, and it, that's exactly the point in my life where I, re, where I realized who my father was, you know, because in the meantime, uh, I was just joining my father for his political campaigns and everybody was saying, Paulo, thank you very much. You're helping a lot of people. So I was just hearing a lot of good things about my father, but this was the start. This was the beginning when I realized uh, to know my father even better. And he approached me and he said, look, son, I want you to know what I do and I am a bandit and this is what I do for a living. So since that uh, moment, he started sharing with me the news and we, we, we saw the, the, the TV news, we read the newspaper together, and he didn't have any problem to recognize his responsibility for most of the news that we were reading. So it was uh, a moment that allowed me also to know better who my father was. Uh, and, and I know that some people, they say that I, I don't know anything about my father, but they don't know my relationship with him and how 
direct and honest and uh, he was with me, you know, because I don't know many fathers who could approach to their own, um, to their own sons and say, hey, I killed this guy and I, I am responsible for this cocaine or not. You know, it's, uh, I don't know many guys who could do that. Now that I am a father, I, I think, how should I tell my son if I commit a crime, you know, did I, will, will I talk to him in, a, in the same way that my father did it? I don't know, man. I think it's, it's very, very hard. But I believe that also my father was just trying to be my father. And being honest with me was um, a way of showing me respect, I, I believe. Who do you believe trafficked the most drugs in the 1980s? Your father or George H.W. Bush and the CIA? <laughs> you, you, did the, you, you did your homework, man. <laughs> well, I really don't know who, who handled more. But uh, it's difficult to, to count the, how many kilos did everyone uh, deliver in those times. But uh, you remember, you know, the... Um, there was a, a big fight, you know, against the socialism in Central America during the 80s. So the CIA was using the drug trafficking business and also they were like uh, in the middle of a exchange between drugs and guns. So they will support the right wing groups so they could kill all the lefties. So that's, let's say, the, the, the excuse to to be part of the drug uh, trafficking business to finance all these wars against the leftists in, uh, in Central America in those times. And of course, my father uh, was part of it. And as I published in my second book that is, is not being translated in English yet, uh, I can imagine why. Um, <laughs> the thing is that... Uh, <laughs> We, we, we should take this uh, in a relaxed way, but it's a, a hard story to tell. Uh, um, you know, my father was, uh, and there's pictures that Barry Seal, the CIA agent, took from an airplane that my father actually bought from the CIA, and he was sending drugs to the United States uh, with those kind of planes. But, of course, the CIA put a hidden camera inside of it and took several pictures of my father and some people of the Nicaraguan government, and even another partner of my father called the Mexican, AKA the Mexican, Gonzalo Rodriguez Gacha. And what's interesting for me about those pictures is that you can see the right wing, the left, the left wing, the drug dealers, the army, the government, everybody together, you know, just after the money. It's like, there's no, doesn't matter who believes in the right wing's ideas or the left wing, whatever. It's just only one, uh, one thing that bring everybody together and it's money. You know, and that's, you know, I, I feel a little bit disappointed because I thought that, you know, their ideas were stronger than that. But, you know, at the end, money is like uh, the uh, whatever is the only thing that matters, sadly. Your father said that those photos were fake because he's never carries the drugs himself. Are you saying that the photos were real? Well, the photos are real, and he said that he never carried the, the drugs into the plane, but because the soldiers were doing that part of the job, you know. Okay. So he wasn't lying. 
it was okay. the soldiers who were helping. <laughs> so you've met a lot of the victims of people who were assassinated. I've written a book about Barry Seal. Did you meet Barry Seal's son? Yes, actually, we are very close friends, and I'm happy to say that, man. And I, I, I should say that Aaron Seal, his son, he teached me perhaps one of the most important lessons for me in terms of reconciliation and forgiveness. And he, I thought that I knew something about asking forgiveness and reconcile with people, but, you know, this guy is truly amazing because the first message that I received from, from him was he was asking me to forgive his own father just because he was willing to talk about my own father against him in a U.S. court. So he asked me to forgive his own father, even when my father was the one who killed his own, his own guys, you know, his own father. So for me, it was like very hard to receive and to process that message because um, I wasn't expecting um, so much kindness. And, you know, I, I don't know even how to describe this, his heart, man, because he's, and also his, um, uh, his mother, and actually they both contact the guys who, who, uh, who pulled the trigger and killed uh, his dad and uh, husband in that time. And they got in contact uh, in those times and they said, we forgive you. We have nothing against you. It's uh, God's will. And we know that's, that's their words. And they said, we know that our father took decisions in life that, you know, uh, bring him a lot of problems and and it was thanks to his own decisions that this had this um, unhappy ending for sure so well, that that really inspired me you know to continue working with my father's victims and and so far and thank god and that today i have met like 150 families uh, all of them suffer you know um, kidnaps and uh, murder, many, many crimes committed against them. And, and thank God the, the success rate of those conversations are 100%. So that's, that keep me going in that path of forgiveness and peace. Man. That's really powerful. What motivated you to meet the victims, family members in the first place? Well, man, I, you know, it's like uh, I, I, I felt like silence will kill me, you know. If I stay in total silence for life, that will kill me in a way. And I couldn't stand that. And so I took the decision. I, I told this to my mother and I said to her, look, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I need, I feel the need to ask for forgiveness even if I didn't commit any crime against them. But I believe that somebody has to take responsibility for this and, uh, and nobody's doing it and who else is going to do it, you know? And um, I got her support and my sisters too. And after that, you know, I start realizing that perhaps the best way to approach to them was telling my own story through a documentary that was called Sins of My Father. and. And suddenly, during the year 2009, we finally published the documentary. So that gave us the perfect opportunity and excuse to approach to those families. And that encouraged me also to write a letter to them. And after that, you know, I could uh, have a meeting 
in Colombia after 14 years of not being able to come back to my own country. And, and when I took the decision to come back, you know, I was um, feeling a lot of uh, fear because when I, when I left my country, they said to me, if you ever come back, we will kill you. That's it. And so I, I promised not to come back again, ever. So I was not keeping that promise and I was facing a lot of danger. But for me, I thought and I was totally sure that it was more important to face that danger. But because I was seeking forgiveness and reconciliation with my father's victims. So there was nothing else more important than that. Well, fantastic work that you're doing there. Another life and death situation was when the Cali cartel bombed a house your dad had left in the morning and the roof was off. You guys were looking at the sky and the way your mother described it, that you, you basically a Botero statue had saved your life because you were pinned down by a, a slab. Mm-hmm. What, what happened next? Well, man, uh, you know, nobody ever in that time in Colombia have heard, you know, a car bomb explosion, nobody. So when we were in the middle, we were totally confused. I cannot tell you that I hear the bomb sound. No, I, I heard nothing. I just felt that I couldn't breathe because, you know, the, the weight of the ceiling was just, you know, uh, against me. And I was in bed next to my mother. She managed uh, to escape. And thanks to her strength and, and I think thanks for the love and the adrenaline that she felt in that moment, she saved my life. And um, I thought that there was an earthquake, man. I never expected a bomb, never in my life. You know, I was just... You know, you can hear a lot of shootings in Colombia, but not bombs. It it didn't happen in that time. So we thought that it was an earthquake, and I thought that we were trapped in the basement because all the buildings fell. I don't know. I was just imagining things. I couldn't see anything. There was a lot of dust and, uh, and glasses everywhere. Everything was destroyed. It's, um, quite a surreal image because when you go to bed, you know, what's the last thing you look, you know, you look your own ceiling and suddenly somebody took it out and now you just get up from bed and you see the sky, what happened here, man? It's like uh, another miracle. And so this is the kind of stories that I took from my own experience and my own life to say that I should show a lot of respect, not only to my own life, but also to to the rest of the lives that were affected by all of this violence. So uh, it was quite an experience, another miracle in my life. I have the pictures and I, I'm willing to, to show uh, with the public and with you some of them because only when you can see them, you will see that how can you, you know, still be alive after um, suffering that kind of situation. So it was, it was amazing to to survive and to, you know, I, I remember that I walk, um, it was, we were in the, in a very high floor, but we, we, we need to use the stairs and the stairs were full of, you know, broken glasses and, and I wasn't wearing any shoes. And then, and I cannot show you a single scar, man. And, you know, I, nothing, actually nothing happened to me, not even to my mother, not even to my little sister. So, um, there's no other way to call this but as a miracle. 
I'm curious, I've often wondered why Pablo didn't bomb the houses of the families of the Cali cartel because Gilberto called him the next day and he realized it was Cali. Why did he not retaliate right away and, and bomb their family's houses? Well, it's, my father was a man of his, of his word and, um, and he made a promise to his own enemies that uh, the war was going to be against them, but not against their families. And even if they, they attacked his own family, he was willing to respect that. And he many times told me, I know where, this, where their sons live, I know their relatives, I know all the address, but I'm not going to hurt them because they made this promise. And it's another way to keep you safe. But, you know, they never respect that condition. The only one who was still respecting that condition was my father because they do attack us many times. They were hiring policemen to kidnap us and uh, to make us a lot of harm. Even the army, there was a lot of corruption, you know. The difference between my father and the Cali cartel, let's say it's, my father, my father was willing to take control of the country uh, fighting against the institutions. And the Cali cartel was willing to do the same, but buying the, the institutions. That's the big difference. Let's say they have a more uh, businessman approach uh, for that uh, kind of intentions that my father, my father was more like a warrior in that, if you can call him like that. And Manuela, she injured her ear in the explosion. And having read so much about Manuela when she was a kid and your, your dad playing with you guys, I often wonder now, how, how is your sister doing now? Well, she's well, actually, you know, that's part of the myth. You know, my, my little sister, thank God, she didn't suffer anything about her ear. Oh, really? Actually, yeah. It's just, just part of the gossips, you know, that you can hear in the media, and the, there are a lot of them. And my, my little sister is good. She's, she's handling well his, her own life. So, but I know that she uh, decided not to be so public as I do. Uh, because she's, I don't know, we respect her decision and she also support us uh, with, with everything that we are doing as a family. But we can understand her that, you know, she was a, a little girl when all this happened, has different memories and experiences, even if we suffer the same ones. Of course, she was even younger, so she got more affected uh, for sure. But um, at the same time, I... I was the one who got, you know, affected in one of, uh, in my two ears, let's say. But I didn't realize this until um, recently because I was just hearing a noise in, inside of me. I didn't know what was going on. And the noise stayed there like for five days. So I went to see the doctor and I, I, I want to know what's going on, what happened. So they made me some tests. And they realized that I lost uh, 50% of my hearing capacity in one of my ears and 60% in the other one. So I asked the doctor, but, you know, I can hear you per perfectly well and I'm not complaining that I cannot hear. So he explained to me that there are some frequencies that you can hear and that. Uh, so he told me, I hope you're not planning to play the violin because you will not be <laughs> able to do it. But uh, so... I tell this guy, look, as long as I can hear you, for me, it's fine. So perhaps I can hear some music and I can lose some parts of it. Do you think that injury came from the bombing of the house or from other situations? 
for me it was sure that it was you know it was the, the only time in my life that I was you know exposed to that uh, kind of explosion and uh, just to remember uh, one kilometer away uh, from the side uh, from the exact place of the explosion all the all the glasses of the city all the windows were, were broken just because of the explosion so imagine if you are exactly in the middle when that happens wow and, you know it's um i wonder how you know how i can still hear your well man <laughs> what do you say to all these young men who watch narcos and want to be like your father well man i i should say that uh sadly they are not telling the truth about how we live that experience and they are not being accurate. They are not respecting my father's story, my country's story. And, and they are just glorifying him. They made uh, a great product in terms of entertainment that has been very successful. Nobody can deny that, but also it's uh, not educating well the, the, the youngest audience because they, truly believe that everything they saw in Narcos is absolutely true. And as you tell me, as you told me in the beginning, you know, I've been receiving uh, hundreds and thousands of messages every single day through the social media. And most of them, they say, it's so cool. I just watch Narcos and I want to be like your dad. Like, you know, it's just like, hey man, this is not Superman. I mean, this is a different story. And if you truly know, want to know the story, please, come and join me and read my books or just be present at one of my lectures and and I will tell you the truth because you know I had the chance to be even somebody worse and dangerous than my father but I didn't take that path because I was truly aware of the consequences and um, I received great feedback from my books you know the readers the youngest readers they sent me letters and they said that they were willing to be like my father but only they stop thinking like that after they have the opportunity to approach to my story, to my books. So that's why I keep um, promoting my books because uh, I know that uh, finally I handle to deliver a message that is totally responsible, that is not encouraging others to follow my father's examples in life and that it's helping a lot of people to be aware of the consequences of trying to be involved in a business and in a life, you know, my, my father is being portrayed like he's a very successful man. And I don't think, you know, even he, if he made so much money, but what's the point, you know, what's, I don't know, what's a um, success for you in life. Uh, I think that's a success, at least for me, it's something that you can truly enjoy during all time. But if you can't, what's the purpose of having, you know, tons of money, but you cannot enjoy any single dollar you, and you are starving, but you, instead of, you know, you are starving and at the same time you have $4 million, $4 million in cash in front of you and you cannot buy it, just a single piece of bread with that money. So what's the point of, you know, having all of those um, assets? It's not... It's not a good way to do it. And, uh, and I tell those guys and I invite them and I said to them, look, if you feel talented enough to be a drug dealer with half of your talent, you can be a very successful man in life and you have, and you will have your freedom and your family to enjoy that. 
Yeah, it ends in the prison, police, and death. That's what I tell the kids in this country. So as, as a kid for you then, what was it like growing up with hitmen around the house? I'm thinking of characters like Popeye, Earring, El Chapo, Mugre. These guys were babysitting you, playing games. What was that like? Well, they were, they were truly, as I call them, my killer knives. You know, it's like, uh, it's, uh, it w- I didn't have any, any friends, you know. They were my friends. I grew up with most of them. And not with Popeye because he, he was being part of the cartel, but later on, not from the beginning. But I know that he, he talked much uh, more than he knew. That's the that's reality. But uh, it was a very awkward situation, imagine. I was just a kid surrounded by bodyguards, all of them consuming cocaine, marijuana, with guns in their hands, and not the best examples you would want to have for your kid. Uh, but that was the life that I was living, and of course, I didn't have an option. It was my place of birth. That's it. You know, you can choose your friends, but your family, uh, that's something, at least as far as we know, we cannot do. With the assassination of presidential candidate Galan, there was a chart drawn up by the cops and they had like Pablo and Gacha at the top saying, these are the guys responsible. But General Maza is in prison. Santo is in prison and Maza was the you know equivalent to the head of the FBI. Santo was the politician, the, the liberal candidate. How did the people who the public thought were the good guys end up in prison for the murder they said your dad did? Well, that's a, you know, it's a, a very complex case, you know, because uh, a lot of people, of course, the authorities at the beginning, it was easy for them, you know, everything that happened in Colombia, they just, you know, accused my father of being responsible of. But, uh, and many times, you know, it was next to my father and I, I used to say to him, hey, why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you say the truth? And, uh, and he said, it will cost me another war against this family, the Castaño family or, or the other family, just to defend myself. So it's better to keep it that way. And, and I also understood that my father was taking the, the power that was given to him just by the media. So that will make him look like even a more dangerous person. And he was using that in his own favor to force the government to do whatever he wanted. And also the politicians. And, but of course, in the middle, there's a lot of corruption. Uh, I know that General Massa was convicted for the... Um, for, the, for this criminal act against Luis Carlos Galán, the presidential candidate, and also who you call Santos is Santofimio, Alberto Santofimio, another politician. I wrote in my first book, you know, about, about a short line about Santofimio. And not, um, I should say, I don't like this guy, and I, not, I don't need to be his lawyer. Uh, he, he had his own lawyer, but... Uh, you know, I don't believe everything that I saw, uh, that everything that comes from the Colombian justice and from the Latin American justice and from many other countries, you have to be very careful of what you read because they said that uh, he encouraged my father to kill Luis Carlos Galan. And let me tell you one thing. My father was a man who took his own decisions. He never asked for anyone's permission or approval. 
You know, he just wanted Galan dead and Galan was dead. You know, one of his friends, of my father's friends, asked him, hey, Pablo, what are you going to do? Because you know Galan is going to be the next president of Colombia. Um, and so my father answered to, the, to this, to his friend, a dead man can't be a president. You know, so he was taking control of Colombia. He was the man taking decisions. He was also uh, dictating the, um, the decrees published by the by Gaviria's government. And let me tell you, it's the, there's a lot of decrees, 303, um, 2747, many, many government decrees that were published because my father was the one telling to the government what to say in his own favor and how this will be made like a, it's like a, um, a tailor-made dress for him. You know, it's like a, just he could present uh, to the authorities, surrender to them. Uh, it was politically correct. You know, it was shown to the press, Pablo Escobar surrenders to the government, but it was exactly the opposite. You know, that's, that was how it was presented to the media. But the truth was that Colombia was surrendering to Pablo Escobar. That was the big difference. And of course, um, you know, the, the, the details of the crime, I, I, I handled to talk a lot of, about this in my books. Uh, and I understand that it's difficult to understand how the ones who were supposed to be the good guys, finally, they, they, they got involved into this. But there are a lot of side stories that relate them to Galan uh, let, let's say something, you know, uh, I know that General, General Massa uh, didn't want Galan to be the president because the day that Galan will arrive to the presidency, the first guy who will be kicked out of the government and the power was going to be General Massa. So, you know, and of course he said, I am the most, uh, I was one of the the biggest enemies against Pablo Escobar, how should I help him, etc. But there was another, a lot of, uh, you know, the Castaño brothers. The Castaño brothers, they had a lot of power and they they make, uh, with the Mexican, Gonzalo Rodriguez Gacha, they do a lot of uh, the operation that finally got Galan killed. So there's a lot of stories. It's a very complex story because a lot of people is like, uh, in, in the middle, and it's difficult to understand, but you know, it's um, it's very interesting to to bring the puzzle and all the pieces together, so so we can rebuild the story and the image of what really happened. Was Mazza working for Cali? Yes, yes. Uh, my father used to say that many, many times. Of course, uh, Mazza denies that, but you know, I've been. Uh, talking with William Rodriguez Abadia, the son of the Cali Cartel, the son of Miguel Rodriguez, one of the bosses. And of course, you know, they own the country, truly own the country, the Supreme Court, the, the district attorney office, the government, and the policemen, the militaries, they truly were the owners of Colombia. As I told you from the beginning, they were trying to, you know, to um, infiltrate all the Colombian institutions thanks to corruption, and they did it very, very well. And of course, my father was fighting against that, and, and he was just shooting everyone, so 
of course, I thought that the Cali Cartel was going to be, was going to succeed, you know, uh, for many, many years, but they just last for, let's say, two years after my father's death, you know. Do you think Popeye exaggerated Santo's role in the Galan assassination for his own benefit so he could get out of prison? Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, this guy lied a lot, man, a lot. He was, you know, it's, uh, he was a bandit, you know, and bandits do things for money. And just, you know, he passed away and I, I would like to leave him rest in peace. But uh, I know bandits. I grew up between all of them. I know them, how they think, how they act, how they, how they behave. And when, when these kind of bandits, without uh, loyalty, they will do whatever it takes to have more money. And they will like against you against anyone you could ask if you gave them money. And so he was given information to the Colombian authorities about the activities of Medellin cartel from the year 1984, but he was part of the cartel only until 1988. Mm. So how could you trust a guy like him? So out of all of the people who worked for your father, who was the most loyal? Well, uh, I think that I remember John, ha John Jairo Arias, Arias Tanscon, Pinina, perhaps he was one Pinina. of the most loyal yeah. men that he had and, uh, and even the most dangerous too. Even he, he dared to say one day that once uh, the authorities or the enemies got him, uh, Pablo was going to lose the war and that was exact exactly what started to happen because Benina was the guy in the streets, you know, doing all the other things for him. And there was another guy, um, but he was more like a friend. It was my, uh, my uncle, Mario Enao, from my mother's side. And uh, they were truly good, good friends. And my father was paying a lot of attention to Mario's advices because perhaps he was the only one who wasn't applauding for his violence and etc. So... I think that the most important man in my father's life in terms of, you know, his operations, uh, let's say from the military part was Pinina for sure. And from the friends part, from the good advice and from uh, to be, uh, to trying to be a wiser man was uh, Mario now, my uncle. I was having lunch in a restaurant in Cali, in Cali, Colombia. And 10, ten hitmen uh, got to where I was, and, and it was a disaster. There were six people dead. And I decided to call my wife and say like, goodbye to her because, you know, I don't know, something. And, and I pick up the, my cell phone, I call her. I talked to her, tell her that I love her and, 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 and protect my kid. I don't know why I say that. And when I hope, when I, you know, I, I finished the call, immediately the guys got up and then two of those guys started shooting at us. And, and unfortunately for me, I tried to, you know, get up. That saved my life because I would have been hit in my, in my, in my, 
in my face. So and uh, you know the inertia of the of the shots threw me back. So I fell in another table. That table comes on top of me. And unfortunately, one of my friends got hit here. And he immediately, you know, all the blood was by my side. And then I, I lay down and I was like, you know, making that I was dead. But I was seeing this guy move from here, from there. And it was, there was, you know, there were, there were seconds, but for me it was like an hour, you know, this guy. And when the guy decided to go, you know, I, and then I, I called for help. Right, so today we have got a exclusive interview with William, whose book we have just brought out. It's the Son of the Cali Cartel, and we're going to be getting into a hell of a lot of detail about that shortly. But before I begin, you know, many of you are familiar with William's story if you've watched Narcos, which was a misrepresentation of the actual truth, and we're going to get to that as well. But this is a massive story because... The Cali Cartel, at the peak, they took over from Escobar and they were moving tens of billions in cocaine worldwide. It did become the biggest distribution cartel in the world. And many of you are familiar with the four heads of the Cali Cartel. So you've got Chepe, Pacho, and then you've got Miguel, which is William's dad. And then you've got Gilberto, his brother, the, um, the chess player, the chess player. So only Miguel is the surviving one. Sadly, Gilberto died earlier. Um, it was this year, wasn't it, that he died? Yeah, he, he died the 1st uh, of June of this year. 1st of June this year. Okay. So William was the acting head of the cartel when the bosses, the surviving bosses, went to jail. So can you imagine running a cartel that was shipping that much product and was worth, you know, the, revenue in the tens of billions a year so the story is going to be absolutely breathtaking but a huge thank you for coming on william no chance thank you for inviting me you know it's a pleasure and thank you so much for believing in my in my book and, and how we can you know make people interested in that and knowing this story because i believe this kind of story has to be told so they don't repeat them you know because that's that's the problem no my my story is a little bit more critical I don't glorify like, you know, Netflix does. I try to tell the truth of what the things that happen in our family and in this organization. All right. And before we get to how this all began, then, there is a story at the beginning of the book where there's an assassination attempt on your life. And for people interested in the book, link will be in the description box below this video, as will links for Reese Dry, who is managing William. So anyone wants to coordinate anything with William, go down in the description box and check out Reese Dry's email and links. So could you could you set up the scene for what happened that day of the assassination attempt? Yeah, um, it happened in 96. It was May of 96. And we, we was having some problems with another uh, cartel, the North Valley Cartel. And so I was, you know, I was having lunch in a restaurant in Cali, in Cali, Colombia. And 
10, 10 hitments uh, got to where I was and, and it was a disaster. There were six people dead and I was the only one who survived this, this attempt in my life. Uh, I received eight bullets in my body and only God changed me, you know, for, you know, because he was the one who protected me and gave me a second chance to change my life. It was a very critical moment in, uh, in this story for me because, you know, uh, I lost a lot of people that I care about. I lost two of my greatest friends and I, I lost some, and I lost some people and my bodyguards that were close to me. And it changed my life, you no, know, forever because, you know, sometimes you believe you're untouchable and, so, and in situations like this, uh, wakes you up of that trance that I was, no, because I believe I could do anything and I was invincible. And and God taught me that day that He was the only power and and changed my life. You no, know? it's not it's not easy uh, surviving that. And psychology, way, it was very difficult for me because. You know, like I said, uh, wounds in your body heal, but those things are there forever, and all those those memories will stay there, and and it really changed my life, no? Because it it, it, it taught me a lesson, no? But it was not so simple, John, because you know I was not, you were not my 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 boss or my my partner or my father so i had some responsibility and i had to continue try to help in them and to run this this organization you know in, in the part of the political corruption and 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 try to you know and try to fight a, a war that was lost at the moment that we started because when you fight against the the americans is difficult because in the end you have to make a bargain with them or or they'll finish you off, and that's what happened. My father and uncle uh, decided to go in a in a war uh, a war uh, uh, like a, you know there are different types of war, and, and we went to the United States, you know, like a legal war, uh, and and in the end we want to lose. So that's what I say. The, the, we began. That, that confrontation with them and in the end we were, we were going to lose because they have the power and they destroyed us in the end. All right, so on this day then of the assassination, can you remember how that day started for you? Were you with your family? Yeah, it, it was, it was, it was, you know, th- this started the, the the day after because, you know, those guys hit on two of our guys who ran our, all, all our, our, our power, you know, in the street. And, and I don't know. I don't know what why uh, I I believe that, that that was like a normal thing that happened to one of the, those guys that worked with us. And, but I should have been you know, alert. And that day I, I wake up and and I was going to go to a, a nearby town uh, of Cali. It's called Buga because there's like a saint there I was devoted to. And I was having, you know, breakfast and my friend that I was going to go with him to, to, to that city came to my house. And then my, my aunt called me. I used to run the soccer game, the soccer team of, of my family. You know, we had a soccer team called America Cali. And we were doing a big business with a player we were selling to Portugal. So she told me that, that she needed me in the office. So I, I, 
decided not to go to visit the saints. And then I went to you know the office of, of the America of Cali and, and I did the deal. And then I decided that there was time to go to lunch. And then I invited them to a Brazilian restaurant. And that's when they those this this unfortunately situation happened. Who were the people you had invited to lunch and what were your relationships with them? Uh, one was my friend uh, when the, uh, a close friend of mine that I was, you know, he was my buddy when we were 15 years old. And the other one was a guy who worked with me, but he was like a friend too, because he always was with me flying to Bogota and helping me with, with my business. And, and one of our top men, uh, they used to run our guys in the street, you know, and I invited him to, to lunch. There was a, my cousin too. He was going to go, but unfortunately in those that he was called and he didn't go. And then we went to that restaurant to find some of them to find the death, their death. So when you go to lunch like that, because of the business you were in back then, what security precautions are in place? But you know that 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 that's 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 the main thing of, of this story because you know I believe I was untouchable. I believe nobody could to do nothing because I went I was Miguel Rodriguez's son. I didn't have precaution at those moments. I only went with two guys. There were my bodyguards and the other and the other guy that I told you, Nicole was his name, my friend. So I, I, I should have known and been surrounded for 10 or 15 guys. But that day, I, I gave the, the opportunity, and that's why I, I lost. Okay, and you said this was a hit by the North Valley Cartel. Cartel. Can you explain then to people who are or who were the North Valley Cartel and why you guys were in a war with them? Because th- this is cyclical, no? First word is Coar. The guy, the main guy, we helped them destroy him, and then we became the number one. And then this this business is stupid for me because when you a guy is up there, you want to take him down, and you and and when you take him down, you're gonna get the heat. So there's something that I don't understand. No, you should, they should you should have an umbrella, and the umbrella will will should, will, will help you, you know, survive. But these guys, everybody wants to be number one. So these guys started, you know, like making up stories about us. We were, my father and uncle were in jail. Chepe was in jail. And we didn't have the, the, the same power because you start losing, no? Because you start, you know, we start retiring from the, the drug business. And you start to lose money, power. And, and these guys were, you know, getting in the place that we were. They were, they were the now the new drug lords and... And and we got in for some, you know, people talking things that were not true and something that Chepe did too to to one of those guys. So it was like, a, you know, they started like making up stories to try to get in a conflict with us. And, and I had to go to a lot of meetings, you know, to try to to clarify, you know, some stuff they were saying and that, that was that, that's when my life became a hell because i had i always was called for those guys and i have to go no this is not this this is not that you know but i believe when you say the truth you always will will survive and get out but in the end this is a very dangerous business and 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 in the end if, if you don't be aware you're gonna be hit or you or you're gonna lose your everything okay so how far into the meal were you when these guys struck 
you know, I finished. I was finished. I was asking for the check. Uh, you know, something happened. You know, something crazy happened. You know, and I decided to call my wife and say like goodbye to her because you know I don't know something. And and I pick, pick up the my cell phone. I call her. I talked to her, tell her that I love her, and and and, and protect my kid. I don't know why I say that. And when I hope, when I you know I I finished the call. Immediately the guys got up and then two of those guys start shooting at us and and unfortunately for me I tried to you know get up that saved my life because I would have been hit in my in my in my in my face so I got hit here here and and down and so I don't know it was fate no I don't know nobody it's very difficult to survive and one shot you know now I, I got hit eight times so it was a miracle do you remember how the assassins were dressed yeah the guy who hit me and that's what that 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 image will be for life in my head he had like jeans blue jeans and he had like a blue shoes and uh, and, uh, and when i fell down because i got up and uh you know the inertia of the of the shots threw me back so i fell in another table that table comes on top of me and unfortunately one of my friends got hit here and he immediately you know all the blood was by my side and then I I lay down and I was like you know making that I was dead but I was seeing this guy move from here from there and it was there was you know there were seconds but for me it was like an hour you know this guy and when the guy decided to go you know I and then I I called for help I try no I tried to get up but one bullet wa- broke my knee and I couldn't get up. If I didn't broke my knee, I would have gotten would have gotten up because I don't know. You know, I I I didn't understand because when I fell down, the first thing you when you are in those situations, that, that, that's the way you think. No, you the first thing you think is in God, and I, the first word I say, God, save me, my little kid. This is not fair. That's what I said in my mind, and. And I tell you, when I finished to say that, I didn't know why I felt so calm. I don't know if it was my blood was coming out or not, but I felt calm. And I did. I know in that moment, I, I was not going to die. Had you ever been shot before, William, or was that the first time? No, it was the first time. Okay. And when the bullets come in you, did your adrenaline just go so high and the pain comes later? Or did the pain come right away? No, you don't you feel pain. You know, I feel I felt like something was in my, in my stomach, stuck in my stomach. But one day I, I I was this is something I'm gonna tell I was I was I met a guy who was a, a top leader of the M19 one of the that he surrendered himself one of the top gorillas groups and he was a friend of mine no and the guy was shot too so the guy was so crazy and he told me right William that when when you're dying that's cool because you start going in, in, in that trance that you are in you know because you know blood is coming out and then you you are relaxed and, and that's it I believe that there was. The way I was calm because the blood was coming out. I lost almost half of the, the blood in my body. When you made the call home before the shooting commenced and you said goodbye, do you think that subconsciously you had picked up on some kind of danger? Maybe, maybe. I don't know why I did that. You know, like I, I was saying goodbye to my wife. Yeah, so it's, it's crazy, you know, because I believe that that day was my day. I think I should have died that day. I don't know why God decided to save me because that day I was going to die. 
because you know nobody survives something like that if God is not there for you. So did you say that there were three other people with you and they died? Yeah, they 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 were. We were sitting three and me four. And downstairs were two guys that were killed uh, with silencer. And and the other three guys were my my two bodies and, and my bodyguard uh, were killed. And what about the assassins? Did they any of them get killed or did they manage to escape? No, because remember that, that day I gave them the chance. I never would give chance to them because from that day on, I always were protected by a lot of people around me because that's, that's we call it in Spanish, la hora del bobo, like the, the, the hour of the dumb. Everybody has in a moment uh, in their life. And that was mine. I gave that chance and, and that why, that's why they got to me. All right, so you're on the floor. You can see the blood now. You can't feel the pain because you're adrenaline. What's going through your head at that point? No, when, when they, these guys ran away, and, you know, uh, the first is to call for help. And, you know, for, unfortunately for me, there was my aunt was there. The sister of my father was having lunch in the same restaurant. So I called her, and she comes and looks at me, and she goes around. And I told her, call an ambulance. And then uh, they uh, they start, you know, like thinking we we cannot put you down because they're gonna come back and hit you. And I say, no, get me downstairs because it was a second floor. And then they they come down and they put me on the floor. And then you know, some like a like a miracle. I believe two police guys came in a in a motorcycle, and I said these guys are gonna hit me again. No, but no, these guys were like 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 angels that came in. I and the guy came and say, hey. What happened? And so, hey, I'm, I'm this guy. Please don't don't stay here. Don't don't move from my side. So that guy, that police guy, died with a with a with a. It was like a a chunk chunk. I believe it was it was there, and he was by my side. And then the ambulance was. Then ambulance comes, and they want to take one of my bodyguards that has a bullet in in the head because he was alive, still was alive. And then uh, and then the guy didn't want to. Take me, so I, I call him. Say, hey, you can take us too. I can, I can survive, you know. So no, and I and I got him from here and throw him down. Say, hey, man, I can save myself. So they put my bodyguard Fernando in in in, in I don't know how the stretcher you call it, and put him in. And I went like you see the ambulance has like a like a seats all around. And I, and, I, and I went down that there, so they took me to the hospital. And, like, when I got there in two minutes, my wife was there, and then my cousin was there, and they say, what happened? And I told my, my, my cousin, those are, sorry about the word, those are the, the word I'm going to say, those two motherfuckers, you have to hide. <laughs> so it's, and, yeah, go on, keep going. Yeah, and then my wife was there, and she told me, and you know, I was I was so calm. I don't know why. I believe it was Alandine. It was you know, like I was dying, and my blood was going down. I was very calm. And then the, another another miracle happens. You know, that's something when you're you're not gonna die, you're not gonna die. My my medical uh, general medic was there. He was gonna operate somebody, and then he he sees me, and immediately the guy throws throws me in in the operation room. And the guy saved my life. The guy was like, when I saw that guy, it was like I saw God. You know, the, the guy didn't let me die that day. 
you had a few guardian angels that day. Going back to the other guardian angels then, it's quite common in Colombia for a hitman to dress as a cop. And you said as these cops were approaching you then, you thought it's it was going to happen again. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, I say this, this is it. But, well, unfortunately, the guy was not involved in in in, in the hit. And, and the guy was an angel that sat there and protected me. But for that moment when you thought it was going to happen again, did you just brace and accept that there was nothing you could do? Yeah, I cannot do nothing. I cannot do nothing because I cannot move myself. I don't have nothing. So, yeah, it was like if it happened, it happened. No, it's, it was God's decision. No, but he decided the opposite to let me live. But for for a second, that it must have been terrifying. Yeah, but you know, I don't know why I was so calm. I don't explain myself. I so I was I I from that moment that I tell told you that I talked to this guy, that I talked to God, I was calm. You know, I knew I was not going to die that day. I knew that that was not my day. I don't know if I put it in my head and that saved me, but but I was positive, hundred percent that I was not going to die. So at this point, then where were Miguel and Gilberto? They were in prison. They were in Bogota in, in a prison called La Picota. They were there. It was very hard for them, you know. Yeah, but yeah, things happen. And I went to operation. I, I wake up like uh, the operation was like five hours. Like at eight o'clock, I, I, I wake up. I was my, my, my wife was on my side. And then my, and then my father calls. And, and the first thing that I told my father that day is, Father, I'm alive. This is a war we cannot win. And I, I, I knew they were, those guys were hearing me. That was the message that I had to give because if I would have said something else, maybe they would come again for me. So I knew what I had to say, and and really it was it was the truth. I knew that in that moment those guys we we will lost that war because they had the police, they had um, the the guerrillas, they had a lot of people. And we had a lot of family, innocent family that would be lost if we decided to go to war with those guys. What was your father's reaction when you first told him that? Yeah, he calmed himself. He was, you know, but he told me if I was how I was feeling, that how did I feel? And I said, no, don't worry, father, I'll survive. Think about the other family members. Uh, and unfortunately, and you know, uh, we could, you know, resolve this issue with these people. And it was difficult because, you know, there were people who will help you and people who wanted war because the the guys who made the hits, they, they charge when you, you kill people. That's that's the way they when they make money. So it was it was complicated, no, but in the end, you know, sense came true and and then we decided to to join, you know, like uh, join forces to fight against projects in, in Congress that were very important against drug trafficking. And those guys wanted me to, you know, help them with that because I had the experience. So that that's in my life too, I believe, you know. But that's there were very difficult moments in Chan for me because, you know, uh, I was every day was uh, you know, surviving death, surviving prison. But that's that life that I choose and and that's why I made so much mistakes. And I had to suffer for my bad actions. So are you saying 
from their perspective then in the immediate aftermath it was an unsuccessful hit because you survived yeah sure because in the end they say i was not that object but it was incredible those those guys uh, will do a hit and don't know who was there no that's that's stupid to know when, when people who were very organized people who ran police and everything they knew i was there you know what but in the end, I I survive and and some people help us and and we could resolve this issue, no? Because in the end, when you cannot make you can you you, you when you go to get, when you're gonna go to war, you have to think about it because sometimes there are wars that you're not gonna when you're not gonna win the war, you have to make you know peace talks and bargain. And and that's and that's what we did, and because we had to survive, there were a lot of innocent people. We had a lot of people, you know, easy to to be, you know, hit. And we we got a big, very big family, and there are people that didn't have nothing to do with what we were doing. So you just said that they said you weren't the target. Who did they say was the target? My 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 main guy, the guy who ran, you know, he he was a guy who who had a lot of people in the street, and and that's why they wanted to take, take him down. But they, I believe, the guy who wanted the war, there was his name was Varela. He, he wanted to take out uh, two birds with one stone because this guy was a guy who ran a lot of people in the street, and I was the, the political power of this organization in that moment. Wow. This is such a compelling story, William. I appreciate all the detail you've given us on this, and it must be true. Yeah, but I'm telling, I'm telling all the story in, in the books, and nobody wanna, is going to read the book. <laughs> I think they certainly will. It's right here. It's right here. Go down to the description box and check out the link, because there's a hell of a lot more detail in the book. All right, let, let, let's go back then and, and just set the stage for this, because in, in the Western-speaking world, the people think it all just revolves about Pablo Escobar, and they've seen the narcos and the DA go in and they're the good guys and they kick the bad guys' asses. But it's far more complex than that. I mean, the whole thing goes back to the violence in Colombia, doesn't it? There was a civil war called the violence. And could you just tell the viewers a little bit about that war, the violence, what it was about? The problem, we have, we have to go back to... Let's go back to 78 to 84. That, that was like a paradise for everybody in Colombia because everybody was making money. Drug trafficking was like almost almost legal because, you know, the banks are making money, the rich people are making money with, with these new, you know, rich guys in the block. And, and, but then this guy, Escobar, decided that he wanted to be president of Colombia. You know, the, the great mistake he made because the guys who ran our country for more than the hundred years, there are ten families in Colombia. They want to permit that somebody who come from there will, you know, be in power in, in Colombia. So when when he was out outside of, of political, they wanted him because they were receiving a lot of you know benefits. But now he's he's getting in, involved in stuff that he shouldn't get involved. And then the problem started. They he ran, he won, and he won, he was a congressman. And then they took out all, all a lot of stuff that he had in the past, you know. He was cut he, he was cashed with some drugs in a the moment, then they put that in the in the in the medias. 
And then this guy got crazy and he, and then decided he was going to make the range against the political uh, who were uh, not with him. So he started to kill, you know, important people. And then he started putting bombs in Colombia. And now the thing that was good, you know, I'm not saying it was good. I'm saying that that's what people believe in those moments. And now this is like satanized, right? That this is, you know, the bad, a bad thing. And and everybody had to suffer the consequences. So this guy made war against the government, against the establishment, against everybody. And, and a lot of, you know, he, he blew it out a plane. He put bombs of 500, 500 kilos of dynamite, dynamite in, in the streets. So it was a very hard moment. And, and the only guys who in a moment decided to, you know, try to, not because they wanted, but well, because now he decided that now he wants to fight with the Cali cartel. And so the only people who put, you know, the, their chest against the squad were the Cali cartel. And then the war started. When everybody was afraid of this guy, my father and uncle and their associates were the only guy who had the courage to, you know, meet this guy in, in the level that he wanted to fight. Because when you start fighting with no master like this guy, you have to be a master. Because, you know, you're not going to, you're going to lose your life. You know, you have to change your values and, and fight. And, and he told my dad and uncle that he will kill him in five days. And my father and uncle killed him in five years. So that's, that's a truth. And I only don't say it. That's something that everybody knows that the Cali cartel was the main factor, not the EDA. You know, the, the Cali cartel was the main factor to kill the squad because we're the guy who were putting the money and putting the information to bring him down. All right, let's, let's go over some of this a bit more slowly then. What was it like for your dad and Gilberto, his brother, who became the bosses? What was it like for them as kids growing up in Colombia? Very difficult, you know, because in, in Colombia, this is a country that has half, half of the of the population is, 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 is uh, you know, in, in, in absolute poverty. How do you say poverty? Poverty. Yeah. Uh, so it's complicated, you know, to, to, you know, be able to go up in the scale, you have to be or a famous singer or a famous soccer player or a politician. Or, or you you are born in uh, you know a, a cradle of gold. That's 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 the only way you can go up. So in those moments, you know, it was very hard for them. My, my uncle was the guy who started everything. You know, he decided to throw his dad like in, when he was sixteen years old, I believe, and he decided to throw his dad because he didn't provide for his family. And he took the, the responsibility of the family and he worked, he, he worked. And then he was a, he was a very greedy and ambitious man. And then he decided to get involved in a lot of criminal activities. And, and my father was different because my father, you know, my, my, my uncle wanted him to be a, a lawyer, a famous law uh, person. And, and my father started studying and my uncle was sacrificing himself so his brother could be, you know, a famous attorney. But in the end, this thing 
gets you involved because you know sometimes my uncle needed some help from my dad and then my my dad got involved and then but in the in, in the start my uncle was the the main guy you know so he was the guy who who initially this this crime organization with Chepe Santa Cruz in eighty in seventy three and they were putting cocaine in in New York and controlling that market from seventy three to like eighty you know there, there was like uh, the main you know cocaine uh, bomb boom in, in in New York and they were the guys who were involved in that and, and then a lot of stuff happened over here in the United States. Uh, you know, the authorities started like put more attention into cocaine because in the start in the seventies they were more you know in 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 the mafia Italian with the heroin heroin. So in ninety and eighty they had a lot of problems here. They almost captured my Chepe. They almost captured my uncle over here, and, and then you know. They go back to Colombia. They, they continue. Then Escobar decided to kill the Ministry of Justice, and then everything blew up. Then Manco decided to go and hide in Spain, and then he's captured in Spain. And then that's when when my father became number one and was the guy who brought the cartel from here to the top. Where they because you know he 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 got a lot of power because of this fight that he had with the American legal fight that he had with the Americans. He had to corrupt a lot of uh, politicians, important people in Colombia. And then he became, I believe, one of the most powerful men in, in that, in that, in that area. No, my father was never the man who more money had in the drug business, but he, he was the man who, he was the guy who had more power. You know, that's, that's, that's interesting. You said that, uh, Gilberto was involved in all kinds of criminal activity before the drug trafficking. What criminal activity was he involved in? He was uh he he was robbing you know he was they, they were called like in Colombia filateria terrestre. It's like being a uh road pirate. He was robbing you know different merchandise and. Uh, Robbing stuff in, in in different trucks and selling them, and then he he became involved in activities of kidnapping and a lot of stuff, you know, uh, micro traffic. And then and then in '73 he decided to bring in the two first kilos to to the states, and then he became you know uh, one of the most important drug traffickers in in the world. So you said that your father was more studious then, you know, he had a law career planned out. What was, if, if his brother was getting criminal, into criminal activity, did that cause problems between the brothers? I mean, what was their relationship like back then? No, no, the, the, I, I never saw uh, a relationship to two brothers like they had. No, they were, I never saw my dad and uncle fight. I never saw a discussion. Maybe they had it in private, but I never saw that. They were, one one respected him like his father, and the other one respected him like the guy who saved him from the Americans in '84. You know, the guy who robbed them because my my uncle should be started uh, being brought to United States in '84 from Spain, but my father, you know, did everything and 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 was able to bring his brother back to Colombia and save them you know, from in those days from from being in American jail. So I believe there was a an amazing relationship. I never saw one like that. 
and it's admirable, no? The two brothers can love them so so much, and help them, and help them, help help them. They and they, you know, be very close and be very, you know, be able to to you know fight the ego, no? Because sometimes it's it's hard to fight the ego when you're running uh, in uh, a top criminal organization. The four bosses of the Cali cartel was your father, his brother Gilberto, Chepe, and Pacho. Who joined next? Was it Chepe? No, no. The, the organization started my uncle and Chepe. Then my father came in and Pacho. And Pacho came in like in 84, 80, 85, when my father was in charge. He was he was the main guy who was receiving the cocaine for my dad and it was selling in New York so they began very close so that's why he became member like in 85 86 so you but saying, the original three guys are Gilberto, Chepe and Miguel so are you saying that Chepe then came in before your father in that case was, was Chepe was he a crime partner for Gilberto before the drug trafficking is that how they knew each other yeah yeah yeah, they were, they were, they were, they were the associates from, from, you know, like seven, the 70s, you know, they were very close. So Narcos shows Chepe as this larger than life character, you know, very brave action. There's always action around him. What was he like in real life? He was a joker, you know, he was always making fun. He was, you know, he was a very dangerous man, but he was always a good character. Yeah, I, I know him when I'm 12 years old, you know, because he's in the in the in the parties of my family, and I always liked him, you know, because he was a very likable guy. But he was very dangerous. But he was a, a very jokeful guy. He was, you know, always uh, making fun of you, always laughing. He was he was he was a very uh, likable guy. <laughs> so did. Gilberto and Chepe, did they have their own crew doing these robberies? Did they have a lot of guys with them before no, the trafficking? No, they, they were together and they had a, a band, you know, they were a crew and they were part of the crew. And then Pacho, what was he like in real life? I, I didn't have a lot of con- contact with that guy. I saw him like five or six times in my life. You know, he was like most, you know, very quiet guy, very, very, you know. And my father didn't like us to be around him. What year were you born? I was born in 1965. So what's your first memories? My first memories? No, not, not very good memories because, you know, I had a very difficult childhood because I, my, that relationship between my father and my mother was never good. My mother was a very difficult person and my father was a bohemian guy. He wanted to, you know, be a party all the time. So it was very difficult relationship. It was not a close one. Uh, when I was five years, I almost died because they had to, you know, take uh, one of my kidneys. And so, you know, it was my childhood not, was not very good. Then my mother makes a radical decision and decides to bring me to the United States and leave my father. He almost kidnapped me, you know. She brought me here with all my father. I, I, never, I didn't saw my father for five, six years. And it was 
hard, no? And then I, we came, we, we went back to Cali and then I looked for my father and then I decided not to live with her or even him. I decided to go and live with Gilberto's wife. And, and I believe that was like the best, you know, time that I had because really like from 79 to 84, 85, when things were like, no, 84 were, you know, normal. We live a normal life. It was like the best memories that I have, you know, that, that because it was normal. We were normal kids, you know, studying, playing soccer. And, but then came this situation on Gilberto and that changed our lives. So when you left for America, how old were you? Like six. And when you came back, how old were you? Eleven, like eleven. And did you notice the difference in the standard of living because the drug money was coming in then? When you sure, came back, sure. My father, my, my father, in those moments, you know, was wow. He was, you know, like I say, in the night and the day, he was a, a, a very successful businessman because he had. Uh, three or four different companies, big companies. He had a soccer team, you know. He was very, you know, known for everybody. He was famous in the city. But in the night, he was one of the one of the drug lords of the world, you know. It was the, they, they did a lot of life, you know, in those moments. And they knew how to run themselves. They knew how to, you know, people didn't talk. You know, I found out they were involved in this activity, of drug trafficking when, in 84 when Gilberto is captured in Spain. You know, we had like some some rumors, but in the end, you know, it was a normal life and it was a good life for us. And so you, you're not asking questions. You're, you know, because you live good. You only have to study to get benefits. So that's, for us, it was normal. And, and my father and uncle in those days, if you see him, they were only running around with one or two guys. All right, William. So from what you just said, then you were about 19 years old when you realized what yeah, occupation. I'm like 18 years old. 18. And just to give the backstory for that, then. So the highest level official ever to be assassinated in those years was the Minister of Justice, Lara Bonilla, by Escobar, which caused many cartel leaders to flee Colombia. Now, before we get to the story of your father going to Spain and, and his brother going to Spain, what, you know, did Pablo Escobar consult the Cali bosses? Did he let them know he was going to assassinate Lara Bonilla? No, no. In those moments, we didn't, they didn't know nothing about that. And then when that happened, uh, everybody had to, you know, uh, like you flew or fly away. I believe my uncle made a mistake. He should have stayed in Colombia because in the end they were they were gonna go against Medellin, the government. But he decided to 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 go to Spain, and I believe that was one of his great mistakes, you know, because when he was captured over there, everybody knew really who Gilberto Rodriguez was. Even us, you know, as a family, he's one of the biggest drug lords in the world, no? Because nobody knew. Everybody was talking about Escobar. And, and, and no, Escobar didn't ask nobody when he did something. He, he did it then. Then, then he brought us to, to meetings when, when my father was involved and told him that he wanted to do that. And then my father uh, told him that, that it was his decision, that they were not going to, we were not going to get involved in that. 
that our fight was a legal fight. And, but I believe that was like the, he's, you know, that started like break up the relationship because we didn't follow him. Hey, so if you join this podcast, William's book is available worldwide. Son of the Cali Cartel it is mind blowing. It's on Amazon as an ebook, audio book, and the paperback. And you saw the Cali Cartel as represented in Narcos. A lot of that was BS. William lays it down, what really happened. His dad was one of the leaders of the biggest coke cartel in the world at that time. And when his dad went to prison, William was running it. And it starts out with the assassination attempt on William, where he gets shot up and his friends die. So again, check out William's book, Son of the Cali Cartel. Links will be in the description box below this video on the YouTube version. Cheers. And in the end, he was going to find something to go against us, you know, because uh, this is the way he he saw it. He, was, he, he believed he was invincible and he can fight. You cannot fight a war against everybody at the same time because in the end, you're going to lose. You know? that's, that's what happened for Pablo, no? Yeah, he fought, yeah. he was fighting with like with five or, or six organizations, the government, the guerrillas, the the Cali cartel, the the other people, the those around him. So in the end, you have to lose when you you lose your. I believe he lost his head. What's interesting then is that Pablo Escobar's business partners were the Achoa brothers, and when your your you guys's bosses went to Spain, didn't they go with the Achoa's brothers? Wasn't Jorge, Jorge Achoa? We're one of the Ochoa's brothers, Jorge Luis, you know, because my uncle knew him from, my uncle was a friend of Jorge Luis because they were involved in, in a bank in Panama in, in, the, in the 80s. And so he knew them. Then he met over there, Jorge Luis, in, in Spain, and then they got caught. Okay, so now they've been caught and they're facing extradition to America. So what legal strategy was employed so that they wouldn't be extradited to America? Uh, my father decided to, uh, you know, uh, take the same crime that my uncle did in the United States. And he opened a, 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 the, same, uh, the same case in, in Colombia. So, you know, because the the crime started in Colombia and finished in the United States. So that's what he did. So the United States was asking him for, for this. And then my father made up this other case. And this judge was asking for my 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 uncle in, in his tradition from Colombia. So there was a strategy that, that he started, but it was a it was a very crazy and and hard hard you know uh, process a lot of money was spent to try to to save my uncle and and a lot of corruption was done in in spain in colombia to achieve this this goal so this case that was made up then did it involve bull smuggling drug no no that was jorge luis that jorge luis ochoa that was what he did it was different strategies no our, our strategy was the same crime that my uncle was charging in the United States for bringing cocaine over here was open in Colombia. It was about cocaine. Jorge Luis was about bullfighters. 
I see. Okay, yeah. So he he managed to get um, sent back to America as well. So are you saying then that money ended up with the judges in Spain to make that happen? Not only not the judges, but a lot of people with a lot of influence in in their country. You know, the uh, they they were the guys who got the money and and helped my father achieve the, this this hard and difficult fight win this this battle no because in the end it was a battle that we won all right so you're 18 you find this out what goes through your head well it was crazy it blew up or, or not only uh mine my 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 other i believe some of my cousin knew but my, the one who was almost the same age of mine we didn't know so it was very hard for us and we, you know, felt betrayed because in the end was, you know, everybody was now putting the finger on us. That's why we believe, no, because, you know, you start like making up, everybody's looking at us. But in the end, it was our family. It was our uncle. We loved him. And they were good with us. We had a good life. You know, we we had everything we wanted. We study and, and be, you know, that, that was like our, Part of the bargain of we had to to you know bring because it was like a, a contract we had with, with my uncle. This we we is that if we achieve and be good students and achieve our goals, we will get, get you know uh, things in uh, exchange. You no, know? that's that's like what they he taught us. You no, know? that everything we have to win it, and that I believe it was a very good way to. So the, the way he, you know, broke us up because in the end, that they make us people responsible people, you know. And and what I tell you, so in the end, we, you know, we decided to be loyal to, you know, sit, sit beside them and 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 try to be loyal and accomplish. Uh, go to Spain, spend time with my uncle. When he came back to Colombia, every every Saturday we have to be. In the jail, you know, from eight o'clock to of the morning to four o'clock uh, of the afternoon, you know, trying to be with him and and being loyal to our family, you know. And and in those moments, you know, I saw that relationship with my father and uncle. And my father was a lawyer, so that's when I decided to be a lawyer. What was it like visiting him in Spain? You know. It was difficult because the the jails in, in Spain are hard, like here, like in United States. I, I believe in United Kingdom must be the same. You know, um, I never was in a in a jail before, but it was you know it was a, a mirror here, and we have to talk about you know pressing a button. It was very hard, you know, to see him that way. But 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 in the end, uh, in the end, there was you know the faith that he that, that he you know brought up to him. Was he confident about his case, or was he worried? No, very worried. You know, it was it was a it was a I believe it was seventy thirty. You know, United States will get him, but you know, my father never, never surrendered, and he achieved that. So, when your father got back, did he have to go in the prison in Colombia for a period of time? Yeah, when no, but yeah, when my uncle comes back and. Like my uncle was back, like back, like in '85, something like that, and and he has to stay like two years in prison to '97, to '87, sorry, to '87, from '85 to '87 in jail, 
And then in 87, he, he was released. Okay. And what was your father doing during that time? He was managing the Cali cartel and, you know, and, and part of the legal business, no? But the, my uncle, yeah, the, my uncle was like the guy who, who was more involved in, in running the legal business. He, he was, you know, yeah, now he's in Colombia. So now he's running the legal business. My father is running the other, the other business, the legal one. And what was the Cali cartel's relationship with the government like during those years? Good because, you know, we were spending a lot of money, you know, bribing them and, and being close to them. We were, you know, allies in those moments because they helped us, you know, achieve the, this goal of bringing my uncle back from Spain. How did things deteriorate with Pablo Escobar and you guys? They happened, uh, something happened in New York. Two employees, one from Pacho Herrera and one from him, got involved in a conflict. I, was, I believe it was for a girl or something like that. And then I believe Pacho's guy killed this guy. And then I, Pablo asked for the head of this man. And, my, and then Pacho didn't want to surrender him. And then now Escobar not only wants the guy, he wants Pacho too. And then my father and uncle say, we don't surrender our friends. If you want to fight, we can fight. And then they found out that he was going for all for them. So that's when the war started. What about Virginia Vallejo? Was she sleeping with Escobar and sleeping with Gilberto? For people who don't know who she is, she's a very famous uh, TV presenter. That's what they say. I don't know. I cannot say yes or no, but that's what people say. <laughs> okay. So as things deteriorated with Escobar then, how did your life change? We changed uh, radical, man, because, you know, I, I only was, you know, we, we, we were running around with one guy, and then I have, like, four guys behind me. I have four, five or four guys, bodyguards, all my family now. Now we, we used to have, like, two, three guys in our security. Now we have, like, 100. And then change life changed forever, you know, because now we have this guy in top of us. And we have this awful world, you know, with people with guns around us. And but that's the only way we can survive. What were the first attacks Escobar launched against Cali? Uh, he started burning our, our drugstores, our pharmacies. And they, he started burning them in, in Medellin and, 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 and trying to get to my father and uncle. No? There were a lot of people coming and going from Medellin to Cali trying to, to assassinate my father and uncle. And then the same, no, they were sending people to Medellin to, to try to hit the score. There's, there's still a lot of noise, uh, William, from the, from the table. Is there like something on the table that's making the noise? Let me take it out. Now mm -hmm. it's better? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. All right, so the war's heating up with Cali and Escobar, and the government now, are they coming after Escobar only? And are you guys, you know, joining with the government against Escobar? And first it was that way, no? And first it was only the government against Escobar, and we're helping the government. And in 89... This guy and El Mexicano, Gacha, decided to kill uh, Galam, one of the one of our president, you know, candidates from Colombia. And then uh, another, you know, 
big wave came against drug trafficking, uh, against the government, and then then I believe that saved my my uncle and, and father's life because they had to hide themselves. They were not going. They were not you know looking so hard for them, but they had to you know not be in their houses. You know they had to be mobile, and then I believe that that saved them their life because my father was always in the same place, and his poor was you know. In the end, he was going to get to him. So that's, unfortunately, it's a very sad part of the story of our country. But in the end, I believe it saved my, my father's uncle's life. Do you know how the assassination of Galam was organized by Gacha? Mm, they, they, brought, they say they, brought, uh, they bribed one of his close bodyguards and he knew where he's going to be there. But I believe he's suicidal, so because he knew he, they, he, they were going to kill him, and then he went. He he still went to that that, that part of the country was the, the domain of Gacha, and he shouldn't have been there. So you know, and, and and they they killed him. You know. So do you think he was partially responsible for his own death then? Because he no, knew the no, risks? no, no. It's because because it's it's crazy to say that because you know he shouldn't be. You know, he should have been able to to go anywhere he wanted, but in the end, it was a very diff- difficult zone. Uh, uh, it was very, you know, very brave. I don't know. He trying to go there, but in the end, it was one of his a great mistakes because he was killed. Okay, so in the West, some key figures in the story are often left out and people are not f- very familiar with the Castaño brothers. Could you explain to people who they were? They were like a faction of the right wing. Um, they were uh, fighting a war against the guerrillas, the left wing. And the Castaños became paramilitaries in like in the 80s because... We've got, we got, uh, the, the, no- we got the noise again, really. The, uh, the, um, the FARC killed their father, and then they become involved, and they become one of the high groups of right, right wing, um, and and right and fought a, uh, a war against uh, uh, the guerrillas. Okay, and in the beginning, they had a good relationship with pa- Pablo Escobar, didn't they? Yeah, they were they were working with him, and they were against us. Uh, but in the end, they find out that they and he was going to kill them, and and they, you know, came, came over here to to the side of my father and uncle, and then there were the guys who helped with my father and uncle putting the money, build the pepes. The pepes were the guys who, in the end, uh, finished off Escobar's organization. Okay, so do you believe then that Pablo Escobar starting to kill his business associates? Was the beginning of the end for him because he killed other yeah, people yeah. before the, the the Castaños realized? Yeah, because the guy, you know, he 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 at the end he made so so much cows in in Colombia. He killed so many people. He blew up our airplane, and the end he got what he wanted. You no, know? he got a prison that he built, and he was saved there. It was very difficult to get to him because he was you know protective with police and the in the in the army. In the government, so I believe he lost it killing those those two men, those two, two best partners. You know, those guys were uh, very high objects for my father and uncle in the war against him because other guys were giving the money. 
to fight the war against us. And I don't know, these guys lasted. He decided to kill them because the, those guys were just bored, no, to giving all their money to this guy to fight wars against everybody. And then I, I believe that was one of one of the most important mistakes the squad, the second most important mistake the squad made, you know, because in the, that moment he lost the war. You know why? Because people who know who knew his organization, you know, they were, you know, sometimes working together, decided to come over here. So now we know how he operates, who the guys are, and, and they were easy to, you know, finish them off. So you're talking about the assassination of the Moncado and Galliano factions at the yeah. at the cathedral, and uh-huh. these are, these are people that he was really close to. And R- Roberto, were, I, I believe in the list there were three or four, and the list of my uncle and dad, you know, to 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 hit because we're the guys who put in the money to fight the war against us, you know. So I believe it was one of the greatest mistakes because the people who were around the Moncas and Galliano came over here to Cali to ask for protection. And now we know how he operated, who were the close person he had, how they, where they hide. And so it was easy to finish him off. And one of those people was Don Berner. Who was Don Berner, if you could tell the people? Don Berner was one of the Moncada's main guys. And, and the guy, or Galeanos, I don't know what, which are the, the two fractions. I believe it was more of the, the Galeanos. And then... He became, you know, one of the main guys for us to be involved in the persecution in Escobar. And he was infiltrated in the, in, uh, in the group of the police that was against Escobar, the Grupo de Busca. And, and he, he was operating with them, with the, with, the, with the police group, you know, against Escobar and did a lot of... And he was, they, they killed Escobar in the operation. Yeah, so I've read Don Berner's book, Killing the Boss, and he describes going out to Cali to meet the Cali guys for the first time. He, you know, he was apprehensive uh, to join, to make this alliance. Do you remember, did you ever meet Don Berner? Do you remember any of that? I would, I met Don Berner, but after that, you know, I'm, I met I met Don Berner in 96 before my, my hit, in a meeting that I was, with, with the Castaño, when they kill when they kill Chepe, I, I had to go and had a meeting with them, and I saw Bernard two times in my life that day and another day, like in two two oh one something like that. That's that's the, but the first time I saw Bernard was the day that I had that meeting with this with the Cali the Norbali cartel leaders in 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 the in, in the in the right wing uh, Castaños faction in in Monteria. I had that meeting. Okay, could you describe who Los Pepe's were and how how they started? Los Pepe were perseguidos for you know persecuted for Pablo Escobar. Those guys were the were the partners of the, the Boncada and the Galeano and in in some paramilitaries like like the Castaño brothers or there, there was that group that was formed to annihilate how you say the word annihilate to well, to kill to destroy Escobar and, and it was 
all of these these people were financed by my father and uncle and the Cali cartel. Yeah, because the U.S. tries to, you know, if if people go back and read books like Killing Escobar, U.S. Special Forces, the DEA, the CIA, you know, they're all trying to take credit for it, but actually, it was financed by the Cali cartel. On the ground, you've got the Castaño brothers, you've got Don Berner, you've got Los Pepe's, and but they were working in collaboration with the police, weren't they? Because they had the equipment, yeah, let, let, the equipment to say, track him. Yeah, they say, you know, I think DA, DA was, was more important in, in the falling of the Cali cartel than in, in the managing falling. Because the DA was giving information, it was giving some equipment so, to authorities to, to find this guy, right? And I believe, like, let's say the American authorities had 20% uh, of, you know, of Escobar, destroying Escobar. I believe the government, Colombia government had another 20% and the, the Cali cartel and the Pepe, so those guys, the 60% of destroying Escobar. That's, that's the true of, of the story. It's not only I say it, a lot of people have said it. And, and that's, 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 that's the real story, right? Because... That's how Americans work. They 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 don't care. They hook up with somebody to destroy the organization. Then they go for you, and then when they they're with you, they're they're trying to with this other organization, you know, try to make alliance to destroy you. And that's that's the way Americans destroy, you know, uh, all these organizations. So how did you hear about Escobar's death? Excuse me. I didn't hear you. When when did you hear that Pablo Escobar was dead? I was I was in a meeting uh, of of my former lawyers. We were talking about some problems, legal problems that we had to resolve. And then somebody called me and told me that Escobar was was dead. And immediately I called my father and and he confirmed that death was Escobar. Okay, so in Don Berner's book, Killing the Boss, he claims that he, Don Berner, and his cousin, Seed, were in the house assassinating Escobar before the police, you know, before the media, and, and they were told to leave. Do, do you think that Don Berner was telling the truth? Part of the truth, I believe. As a, the the hidden score was a combination in, in, in the paramilitaries. That, that's true. Uh, his cousin was there, but two or three uh, policemen were involved too in the shooting at score. And so then when when this guy, the the half of the of the this group came, he told Don Bernard to leave. But the the operation was was a combin- comb- combination of between police and the Pepe's who, who killed the squad. Okay, and then when the government, the president, he said, these are the men who killed Escobar, and he told them, the media, you know, these policemen, but but Pepe's had to disappear, did they, because they were an illegal death squad? Yeah, sure, but no, nobody wanted to, you know, the government was not going to say that the, the Pepe's in the Cali cartel has... Kill this squad. No, it was uh, a triumph of a win of the government and the, uh, the establishment. 
But in the end, it was a combination no? of, of all this thing because the, the score was not only dead that day. It was, it was a war. It was fought uh, all, all in five years. And it was, you know, it, we were destroying him little by little because he was a, a very difficult man. He was a very, very dangerous person and a very, a very you know, very intelligent man. So it was not easy. Uh, it, was, it was a process. It was a process that was very, that was, was a lot of money spent and a lot of blood, you know, what too was, was you know. What, what was the atmosphere like in Cali when Escobar died? Did you guys feel safe? Yeah, it was, it was like, you know, we had like, it was like two feelings. Like, yeah, we were safe. Uh, what's going to happen? I believe. It was the the most important moment of my father. He had to 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 resolve a lot of issues of his life. But I, I believe in those moments, you know, pride and you know, ego, everything came forward because he believed he was invincible. And then that's the day when he lost. Because he, he, he should have, you know, tried to surrendering himself like the Ochoa brothers did and resolve all these issues with the authorities. But, you know, he was Mr. Miguel Rodriguez. He was the number one man in the, in the world. And, and he believed he could achieve anything. But I believe uh, the Americans and, and, the, and the families who, are the, who control Colombia gave them a little bit for a little while, the power, and now they wanted to take it back. So that's 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 the story. You know, you have you have to read in my book how how all of these things happen and and how really was this cowardly story. No. All right. So when Escobar was assassinated, then what was the atmosphere for Cali? Did you guys feel a lot safer at that point? Yeah, like for our lives, we feel a lot of safer because those guys were now the, the new, you know, drug bosses of, the, of of Colombia, and everybody respected us in those days. Um, but in the end, it was a very, you know, difficult situation because I believe my father and Uncle Blue, the most important opportunity they have to, you know, like you know, resolving all those those legal issues that we had. But I believe they lost them, no, because they had won a battle against the Americans, and now they they brought down Escobar. So I, they believe they were invincible, and 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 I believe they they messed it up because they they had that, this great opportunity and they lost it. Okay, and do you think that your father then? He believed that because he'd been instrumental in taking Escobar down, that the Colombian government would prevent his extradition to America. Yeah, he believed that. No, he believed that he had so many relationships with all those politics politicians, and they, he had a, you know, uh, he believed that he has the structure to, you know, be able to not be sent to, to United States, and in those moments there was. It was easy to think that because, you know, the extradition didn't exist between the United States and Colombia. So 
he, he believed he was safe, but America was working, you know, it was booking. And, and in the end, they were going to try to put in place this tradition again. So imagine at that point in time, then you guys must have been heroes in the eyes of the government because they had struggled against Escobar for so long. Yeah, but you know this, this, this is this is momentaneously, you know, because you had, you know, in those moments, my father had uh, all the police by his side, a lot of people, politicians, uh, high-profile uh, people from the government. But in the end, uh, the government was. The government was finishing his uh, period. Was another another you know government was come was gonna come in place, and then everything was gonna go change. And and United States decided you know to to pressure Colombian authorities, so they wanted to change the police you know who ran the, the police in those moments. And then they did it, and they put somebody that was in in, in their pocket, and, and then they he they, he came for us. Who was that? Uh, Rosso Jose Serrano. Okay. Known as one of the best policemen in the world. No, that's <laughs> that's ironic, you know. But but my father and uncle made him famous because they should have surrendered and not let this guy, you know, say that that he finished the Cali cartel. How did the Ochoa brothers get through all this so safely? Because it seems like everybody else ended up dead or something really bad happened to them. Yeah, the only there were three brothers. One, one unfortunately got involved with some people who were, you know, drug trafficking. I, I don't believe he was doing it, doing drug trafficking, but he was, you know, like lending money to those people, and they and he got hooked up in an operation in two thousand, and he was sent to the United States, and he's doing thirty years. Hope you're enjoying this podcast. There's a word from our sponsor, Rocket Money. The other day, I had to cancel free Amazon Prime memberships. I had a personal on the UK, Amazon, US, Amazon, company account, US, Amazon, UK, Amazon. Do you understand how hard it is to cancel these bloody things? That's why Rocket Money makes these things so much easier, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. Just like with me, with my four Amazon Prime memberships, you may find out you've been at least double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you've got to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor, Rocket Money. Links in the description box. Cheers. The other two, one died, you know, being a free man, and the other one is still there. I believe that they, they are really the, the, the guys who, who are the most intelligent drug lords because they were in the top and now they live a normal life, no? Uh, because they knew how to lower their profile because they decided to forget about everything. But my father and uncle forgot about drug trafficking, but they didn't forget about power. Do you ever talk to the Ochoa brother who's alive? Is it okay? I only I only talk to to the guy who is over here, uh, Fabio, because when I was fighting uh, one of those projects that the Americans were bringing up against us in, in Congress, I met to him to ask him for some money to help us. And they, he, he said he was going to give 
like a hundred thousand dollars and i say no no don't worry thank you but we believe you know they would they would understand that in the end all all, all of the fractions are going to suffer no but in those moments people believe that those laws only were for the rodriguez so do you believe that the u.s government will work with a cartel to destroy another cartel and then they always need a boogeyman yeah, it's that, history has shown that. No, it's not. I can say history has shown that. And if if you see what happened in 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 different part of the world, that's 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 the the, the main uh, way that they did it. And not, not that they they are associated with us, but they you know they they look for uh, the other way for for a moment for these people and make us grow and and then we you know destroy ourselves i believe that that word was the most stupid thing that could happen because in the end paulo squad is strong himself and we destroyed ourselves too so the castano brothers who were instrumental in finding escobar with don burner and you know the shootout and don burner saying he was there with his brother seed all that kind of stuff in the house those guys had to disappear because the media, you know, they, it couldn't be reported that the Colombian government was working with this death squad. But did the Castaño brothers then turn against you guys because they were involved in the death of Chepe? The Castaño brother was Fidel, the oldest one. He was the, the guy who had honor and had worth. The other one was a bandit, Carlos. And Carlos was a missionary, so he, he was beside the guy who was giving money. We were not giving money anymore to him. And now the North Valley cartel was finding all his activities, so he decided to go with them and, and betray us. And he set Chepe up for death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. That's that's what happened. So when then Chepe- later on, he was sending, you know, emissaries to my dad to say he was, you know, that he would have made a mistake, but but in the end, there was there 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 was you know only trying to you know trying to uh, trying to hide his chain. If Chepe, done. if Chepe came in second into the Cali cartel, so him and Gilberto must have been you know really close bonded for so many years. What effect did Chepe's death have on Gilberto and Miguel? Excuse me, I didn't understand the, the question. What, what, did it break the hearts of your father and Gilberto? Yeah, Chepe- yeah, Chepe- sure. My, my, my father and I, my father was most close to to Chepe. They were he, he loved him like a brother, and and but in the end, you know, my father, you know, felt like betrayed by him because he he didn't tell him that he was gonna. Uh, he was gonna, you know, uh, escape, and that was a very hard moment for my dad and uncle. They almost were extradited uh, by the government in those moments, uh, and so it, it brought a lot of heat to us for what he did. But sure, it broke their hearts because they they loved him, but we couldn't show that because you know we, we couldn't show that we were you know heartbreaking because it would be you know very dangerous for us. So that was 96, was it, when Chepe died? 96, yeah, 96. And the assassination attempt on you was what year? Mine, the same year. Okay, so by 96 then, the North Valley Cartel, is that becoming the most powerful? Yeah, there was in the moment that they were more powerful, no? Because because they had, they had 
they had the 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 paramilitaries guys the the right wing with them and they had the police that was run for a, a police that was their associate that was called Danilo Gonzalez that guy was the main guy if you had a Danilo Gonzalez you will win any war you want because he had the police by his side so if you are a cocaine cartel in Colombia in those years and you've got the right wing killing communists on your side does that mean you get protection from the government for the, for that period of time no 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 i don't believe that i believe that you know that uh, that i tell you there's fra- fractions that, that that they're like like waves you know first was Escobar here and then he fell and there's the cali cartel up here and then the cali cartel falls and now the nobali cartel is here and now they fall and now another cartel comes because that's that's the way it works no and because we become objects of the authorities and we, we become medals for police police and the yeah you know those guys so we're like we're we're, we're to we're like how you say that pray uh, we're like you know pray that 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 we're worth something when when we got a lot of value and and that's what happened you know we we become more important and now we're the object so to don't so did Don Berner stay with you guys, or did he go with the Castaños? No, he went with the Castaños. Did he? Mm-hmm. So what happened to him? He was he went to prison. He's over here. He was extradited. Oh. They, they they brought over here to the United States. Do you know what year? Do you know what year he went to prison? He went to prison like two, like two six, two eight, something like that. So did he have a period of success then while you guys were going down? Yeah, because, you know, first, first was Escobar, then it was Rodriguez, then there was the North Valley Cartel, then it was a freshman, a guy called Varela. That guy was our enemy. They wasn't tough. Then there was one of these guys, uh, main guys who killed Varela, was Comba. And then came the paramilitary groups. So they, you know, they become number one object for the United oh. States. All right. So we're in 1996 now. You, there's been the assassination <laughs> attempt on you. Are you are you starting to think about the consequences of this now because you've seen it in real life, the the, the deaths you know, of your I, friends? I believe, I believe I started to see the consequences of my my life in when when I was hit, like my my attend on my life. I, that's when I changed the way I saw because uh, I was I was running stuff like two years, and then I believe I was untouchable. I was ter- ter- becoming my dad, and then you know when this happened, now I I knew that that in the end. I was gonna go to jail. I was gonna get killed. So, so uh, I really, you know, decided to to change this life and become different. No, but it was I was trapped because I was, you know, it's not an excuse. But in the end, uh, I had a lot of obligations with a family, no, and I had to be loyal to to them. And how easy was that? I mean, you've just seen your friends get killed. I mean, your gut instinct would be to kill, to tr- to want to kill the people who killed your friends. Yeah, sure. It's, it's, that's the normal thing that you're gonna think about. But you, you have to uh, you have to know where you're, where, where, where are you, and who are your enemy, and and you cannot be a kamikaze because you know you have a lot of family, a lot of innocent people. They're gonna get killed if you make a mistake. So I learned, you know, to to live like the Greek people. They said you you, you should 
you know, sit in the balcony of your house to see when when the the dead guy passes, you know, in 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 his box. So that's 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 the way I learned to live and wait, because I knew and I knew this type of guys they were very violent and they're gonna kill themselves between. So that's what happened. They all they all killed themselves. Uh, one against the other one because of power and ignorance. Had you learned lesson also from Pablo Escobar's son making the mistake when his dad died? He did a radio interview and he said he was going to be more tough than his father and he was going to kill the guys that killed his father. But then he realized quite quickly that was a mistake. Had, had you been paying attention to that? Mm, yeah, no, but I believe he was a he was a little kid. He was fourteen years old, you know, and. But it was a very dangerous uh, moment of his life because he was going to kill. And, and if you read the book of one of his books of him, the guy who saved him, it was my dad. My dad, my dad didn't let him be killed, you know, and told him that I cannot protect you anymore. Go, go and leave Colombia. But you, you cannot take, you know, the, a little kid away well, he was hurt and, but I believe he did the right thing. Leave, leave Colombia and become a, a a good person because he's a good man. I know him. I have a relation with him, and and I believe he he did the correct. And people often ask, you know, where did Escobar's money go? Did a lot of the money have to be given to the Cali cartel because they took over? That's that's what you know. I, I believe one of the mistakes that maybe Juan Pablo says as that because a lot of people got the, their money but the Cali cartel didn't get my father and uncle only got a building that was not even his it was the the Galeano's building in, in Medellin the other the other things as were 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 you know given uh, you know, given to to the Pepe's you know that's that's what happened because there a lot and most of, a lot of those those, you know, uh, properties were t- taken by Escobar to other people. So you're saying the Castaño brothers got a lot of Escobar's wealth? Yeah, yeah, Escobar, uh, Don Berna, all those people got a lot of stuff. I, we only got a building in Medellin. The, the, even it was even Pablo Escobar. It was the Galeano's building. It was a very expensive, expensive building in, 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 in Medellin. That's the only thing we got from okay. that war. Okay, so you say you were trapped then. You wanted, you know, to somehow stop it because you saw the consequences. But it's like you're you're at a it's it's so big. It's like you're at a ship. You're captain of a ship at sea. You can't turn the ship that easily, no, no, can you? It's no. This is you know what what happened with me, and my channel and my friend. Uh, I got the plane when the plane was going down. And, and one of the one of the engines was in in flames, so that's 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 what I have to manage, you know. In those moments, a lot of you know, it was a very difficult situation. My father and uncle were in jail. We're not we're, we're not getting the cash that we used to manage, and we had a lot of people against us and fighting against the American, fighting against the establishment. It was very difficult moments, no. And that's what I had to live. But I, I tried to do my best because I was a loyal soldier for my dad and uncle. And but in the end, we were gonna lose the war because because you to the Americans you win battles, but the war in the end you're gonna lose if you don't bargain with them. 
So the Cali Cartel was famous then for having hiding places in walls. And sometimes, you know, when the police would come, your dad or Gilberto would hide in the walls. Is it, is it Cayeta? Is that, is that what it's called? Caletas. Caletas. Could you, 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 might, you manage, my friend. That's, 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 that's the sad part of this, no? You're the most powerful man in, in, in Colombia, and you have to hide in a caleta in a wall to survive. So that, that's the life you want. In the end, that's what you have to, to think, no? It's, it's worth it that being the most powerful man and you have to get in a wall to survive. That's, is that the life that, that people wanted? That's, that's, that's what you want to be? That's, that's what people have to think about it. Did you ever have to hide in a caleta? No, never, never. Unfortunately, when I was, you know, hiding for four, more than four, year, four years, I decided to leave Cali and, and go to the countryside and to the jungle and hide there. It was easier. And, and I ran with two or three people by my side. That, that, was, that was easier. And I had a lot of luck. God was with me and, and I was a very disciplined person. You know, I, I was, I was hiding. Really, I was hiding. I was not fooling around. I was 24 seven trying to not get cut, cut. So there was a guy on the inside who was high up in your security, Jorge Salcido. Jorge Salcedo. What, what did he do? He, the only important thing that guy did in his life was give up my father, no? And 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 he made a book, and now he's like James Bond, no? But <laughs> and the guy was, he made a lot of stories, but everybody believed him. But in the end, the only important thing that he did, and it was very important because he he was the guy who gave up my father, the main guy of the Cali Cartel, and that's Jorge Salcedo. And he was your father's, was he his head security? No. He, he was the guy who was running communications in the Cali cartel. You know, when, when the war started, uh, the, the, the chief of security of my dad bring him aboard. And, and this guy was the guy who was running that part of the operation, the communication, you know. And the guy was the guy who was, you know, they had a big, a big computer and they were taking the incoming calls from Medellin in Colombia and mixing it up in Cali and see if this guy, you know, a uh, 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 suspicious number that we have from Medellin calls that house, then this guy is, is now an object. And so they start following the guy and then they take him uh, to see what they're doing. That was the, the main, you know, a operation that Jorge Sassel was doing. And, and then when 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 the war was won and everything happened, then this guy, you know, because he was, you know, he was an intelligent man, you have to say it. He, he started, you know, taking down, like, people close to my dad to get near him. And then he, he, he surrendered this person that was called El Mayor del Basto. He, he was the main security man of my father he he surrendered his, he gave him up to the authorities and then now he became like very close to my dad and that's the way he started you know uh, telling where my dad was how were you captured i never i never was captured my friend i surrendered myself 
I surrendered myself in Panama and was brought here to the United States. But uh, I was not captured. I surrendered myself. What led to you surrendering yourself? I believe my two kids and my wife. Uh, I, I believe I, was, I had run more than four years. Mm. And my father was already over here. And when I saw my father get on the plane, I knew he, he lost his war against the Americans. And then it was my turn to to try to resolve my problem, no? And and unfortunately, I did. And I gave my kids an opportunity to live a different life. Like being in Colombia, they will never be who they are here, you know, they're, because they always will be. That's, that's William's kid. This, 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 this is the granddaughter of Miguel Rodriguez. So I believe here there are normal people and, and they're doing amazing. How much prison time did you serve? I did five years. Uh, was that in the federal U.S. federal system? A federal, a federal institution. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what year were you released? Two ten. Two ten. Okay. And what was it like coming out? Difficult, no. Adapting yourself to, uh, you know, I, I was lost in space. I say because it's, <laughs> it's not only the 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 five years that I was. Running, if I was in prison, there were four more years running. They were more difficult than being in prison. They were, we're talking about nine years when you are totally, you know, out there. I lost uh, communicate, uh, you know, how you say that with computers and all that. Technology. Uh, that, that's, something, that's something very, very mm. funny, you know. When, when I got out in 2010, I got in a, a a friend's car, no, a BMW, and the guy told me, "Hey, why don't you you drive?" No, I got in the car, and my God, and where's the key? <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the, I say, "No, it's at that button." <laughs> so I, you know, I was I was lost in technology for a long time because it was ten, ten almost ten years of you know being hiding and being in prison. It's it's, it's not easy, but I believe. Like in six months, you adapt yourself to a normal life, but because at first, you know, and the noise, a lot of people, that, that was like very stressful for me. But but in the end, you adapt yourself, and unfortunately, I knew I had to adapt myself to my home because in the end, I was the stranger. Now, you know, my two kids and my wife been by themselves for nine years, so unfortunately, she. She waited for me and, and she gave the principles to my kids and, and I'll never have, uh, I don't believe nothing to pay her, no, all, all that she done for my two kids and for me. Oh, that's good to hear, man. So are you able to visit your father or is that not allowed? I see him like three times uh, when I came out, you know, but now for COVID, COVID is very difficult, that situation at first was difficult too. And well, let's see. Let's see what happened with this COVID thing because federal prisons are still, you know, by those restrictions. And your uncle, you know, he'd served a lot of prison time. Was his death a surprise, Gilberto? No, he was sick. No, he was sick a long time. And, and in the end, it's very sad, no, that, that, that he died in a prison cell. And that's, that's, but in the end, that's 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 the shoes that you make, you know, in life. You know, uh, I always say that when you decide this type of life, you you have glory and you have you have the boom, but then you have the fall, and in the end, 
you will end dead or you land in, or you die in a prison. So unfortunately, my uncle uh, died there uh, and it's very sad. Does your dad have a release date? Yeah, he'll be out in, I believe, Mars of the 30 to 30. In 2030. Mm-hmm. 2030. 2030. So he's got eight more years. Yes. No, now, seven years to go. Oh, seven, seven more years. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what, how does he pass the time in prison? Does he have a routine that, that he told you about? The only, the only way you have to survive in prison, you have to do a routine. No? You, you have to do a lot of exercise, read, and, you know, that's, that's, that's the only way you, you can pass the days, no? And so that's, he has a routine. He works a lot now, but now it's complicated with the COVID thing. They almost, they don't let him go out to the yard. It's, it's, it's hard, no? This, it's being in prison in prison. It's, it's, it's not easy. So when I interviewed Pablo Escobar's son, he said he gets messages every day from people who've watched Narcos and they say, I want to be like your dad. And he says, no, you don't want to be like my dad. What do you say to these young men who think it's cool to be a gangster? I'm going to tell them the, the, the truth. No, not, not, I'm not going to try to sell them a story that's not is that the, the one that Netflix and those platforms sell to those guys, those kids that this is, this is a glamour. This is amazing. The, the, this is the life that, that you should expect. I believe not because I, I didn't learn this by reading a book. This, this was not a story that somebody told me I live, I lived there. No. And and, and and I believe it was a very hard life that I have to, you know, suffer for my bad actions i've been i was shot eight times i was running for four i was in prison five years now i'm i'm an asylum i just said auxilium asylum i don't know how to auxilium auxiliado asylum. i don't know asylum asylum from my country i cannot go back so you know i have lost a lot of people that i care uh my 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 best friends that died my cousin that i love died uh, i have lost a lot of relations with a lot of family members and so that's 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 the real story no and 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 that's not cool you know it's i'm not i'm not gonna say that, that you're not gonna get the the boom that's this 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 i have to tell them that the truth yeah i was i was a man uh the main one of the main guys of this organization but in the end for 20 seconds of being the man has been 30 years of being, you know, and suffering the bad consequences of my, my bad actions. Yeah. That, that's a, a good message for the young people. And this has been such a powerful interview. I mean, there's, we could probably do parts two and parts three because there's so much more to get into. I know you've been very generous with your time right now. So I'm, I'm going to urge the viewers to, you know, get your book. There's so much more in the book. Son of the Cali Cartel. It's available worldwide on Amazon as an ebook, as a paperback, as an audio book. And it's just breathtaking. You know, it starts out with what happened with the assassination and just then gets into all the details of the cartel. But, you know, if, if we did do another part, I'd be fascinated to hear about your, you know, your prison stories, the five years in prison, yeah, what what went you went through the on the run for four years, the, the challenges there. There's just there's just so much more to it, William. Yeah, it's the, I believe the the book uh, stories the story of and when I surrender myself and you know do my time in pre- and 
not, not in prison. It's like, like the, the part when I, you know, my legal battle is in there, I believe. Um, but like you say, there are a lot more stories, you know, being in a jail is, is very, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, another adventure. So, so yeah, later on, we can make another one and talk about that. Maybe talk about soccer, talk a lot of stuff <laughs> that are, that's not, that's missing. Can people contact you or follow you on social media? Yeah, my my Instagram is William Rodriguez A A B, and that's that's the main the main uh, social media that I have, and I I hope you follow me there and uh, to see what I'm doing. So all those links will be in the description box, and a huge thank you to Reese Dry as well. He is managing William, and Reese's links will be in the description box. So if you want to organize something with William, if you want to interview William or you want to do an event, whatever it is, go down in the description box and please contact Reese Dry. So thanks for watching this interview. Let us know in the comments what you thought. Really appreciate it. Take care wherever you are in the world. And huge thank you to William for being so generous with his time. Cheers. Thank you.